gotta be fucking kidding. Podcast and the nerds who haunted themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and I love movies, which is lucky because each episode I'm joined by a guest to talk about a film they love and see where the conversation takes us from there. Whether you're a regular listener or just dropping by for this episode, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you enjoy the film talk and, as always, and if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the Amway Not group on Facebook, or wherever you see this episode posted. For this episode, I'm joined by Art92's Helena Edwardson as we kick off Spooktober by discussing John Carpenter's 1982 classic take on The Thing. And now with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer. something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. It takes us over. And it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. You guys gonna listen to Gary? We can beat one of those things! Hello, Helena. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Stuart. And how are you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm ticking on, ticking on, getting back Good into the stuff. swing of doing podcasts after having a month and a bit off. <laughs> Great stuff. And I'm very honoured to be your first guest after a it's bit of it. a break. So, yeah, marvellous. Well, thank you for having me. When when it was doing this film, I couldn't really put it on hold oh, much longer. Um, absolutely. So we'll, we'll dive into that in a little bit. But quickly then, so a bit of information. So we're talking about John Carpenter's The Thing or Just The Thing. Although I think with the prequel, they now call it John Carpenter's The Thing. Anyway, directed, surprisingly enough, by John Carpenter. Written by Bill Lancaster. Based on the novella Who Goes There by John W. Campbell. Uh, starring Kurt Russell, who was the only one who got his name on the poster. So also starring, but not listed on the poster, Wilford Brimley, Keith David, uh, Richard Masseur, T.K. Carter, David Clennon, Richard Dysart, uh, Charles Hallahan, Peter Maloney, Donald Moffat, Joel Polis and Thomas Waits. 
released in cinemas in the US on the 25th of June 1982 and the 26th of August 1982 in the UK. So we got it. Wasn't that long a wait given the time it came out? So all that time we had to wait months. Grossed nineteen million six hundred thirty-four thousand six hundred forty-one dollars worldwide on an estimated budget of fifteen thousand, uh, fifteen million. Sorry, uh, according to IMDb, and Roger Ebert gave the film two and a half stars out of four, saying, "The thing is a great bath bag movie. All right, but is it any good? I found it disappointing for two reasons: the superficial characterization and the implausible behavior of the scientists on that icy outpost. The thing is basically then." Just a geek show. A gross-out movie in which teenagers can dare one another to watch the screen. There's nothing wrong with that. I like being scared, and I was scared by many scenes in the thing. But it seems clear that Carpenter made his choice early on to concentrate on the special effects and the technology and allow the story and people to become secondary. I couldn't find a Barry Norman review, and Empire wasn't around at the time, so I've got no UK review from the time. But generally, I don't think the film was very well received by critics, which is weird to think of now. came out the same year as Blade Runner, which was also not well received by critics and is now considered a masterpiece. I will say as well, Roger Ebert gave that film two and a half stars out of four. He also gave the prequel remake two and a half stars out of four. And I disagree with him. I think don't think the characters do do implausibly stupid things or anything like that. I completely agree with you, Stuart. I I don't, I think like a lot of films um, of the past and maybe even now, I don't know that at the time when they come out and I was reading about this, about the fact that it wasn't received very well, but then years later, like a lot of films, they gain cult status, don't they? And suddenly it was the best sci-fi horror film ever made at a later stage. And you think, why wasn't it so well received at the time? But I think, Having done a bit of reading about this, because I was interested, obviously, is the fact that it was came out around about the same time as E.T. And yeah. the suggestion is that the thing was nihilistic and E.T. was positive. It had this positive alien energy about it, whereas um, the thing was had, had this nihilism about it. So I can understand that. But I mean, I'm not being funny, but for me, um, a horror stroke sci-fi has to have a bit of nihilism in it for me. Yeah. I, I don't get me wrong. I love E.T. I cried. Well, even E.T. is pretty traumatic. It well, is the yeah, film well, that, as a kid, yeah. I cried and was so embarrassed about crying, I ran headfirst into the dining room table. Oh, I mean, if you if you don't cry at ET as a child or as an adult, you must have a heart of stone. Oh, I still cry I, as an adult. Oh, I cried buckets, and if I'm flicking over the, the TV and like late in the evening or something, and I see it, and it's around about the scene that I know I'll start crying. It's like I'm not in the mood to have a cry tonight, so I'm just going to skip over this. But if I feel like a bit of a cry, I'll carry on watching it. That's it. I think you're right, though, because I think like the late 60s, early 70s, till around Superman the movie kind of thing, cinema was quite bleak. You had a lot of political thrillers like The Parallax View, Three Days of the Condor, all of those, none of which really had happy endings. There was always yeah. a hint of something. I mean, there were family films and stuff like mm. that, but generally the popular films like Your Easy Rider ends on a downer, mm. all those films end on a downer. So I think people were starting to look more for positive things to the point where they mm. did film a happy ending for this one with McCready getting a blood test and being told he was yeah. clear, which is an awful ending. And I'm so glad they didn't use it. But apparently John Carpenter just did that in case they told him he couldn't release it without a happy ending. Yeah. Well, I suppose we'll get there. We'll talk about the ending because I'm, I'm, it was something that uh, I'd read or somebody said something to me. But we'll talk about that at when we come yeah. towards the ending, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's go back to the beginning. When did you first see the film? So, or what are your memories of first seeing it? Yeah, my, my memories of first seeing it. Uh, I think it would have been in the kind of mid to late eighties, um, and I saw it at home. And I was still it was back in the day when I was still living in my parental home, and uh, it must have been on. 
well, it will have been on general, like, sat- not satellite, just general TV, because we didn't have Sky or anything like that in those days. And I don't think it was on a video um, <laughs> video cassette back in the days. So it would have been on sort of ITV late at night or something. And it would have been, do you remember the days when you'd have a film that would start before the 10 o'clock news, then it stopped for the 10 o'clock news, yeah. and then it would carry on after that. I think it was around about them. And that was I the old ITV Saturday night thing, wasn't it? That's it, yeah. Which makes me then think, okay, I can probably um, pinpoint then it would have been a Saturday night. It was just me and my brother watching it. And I, I don't know why, I don't know where my parents were, but it was just us two watching it. And of course, it was back in the day when you couldn't pause anything. You had to wait for a break. And I could, and the thing that sticks in my mind is I actually wasn't so so well. I wasn't very well when I was watching it. And I remember having to just, because I, I felt a bit queasy and I had to keep leaving and I, panicking, thinking, what am I going to miss? And I was like, waiting until the break so I could just go to the bathroom <laughs> and coming back. But I can remember being absolutely blown away by it. I And bear in mind, it was just little crappy little TV that we had, you know, with the tube on the back and the picture wasn't yeah. very good. But maybe that added to it. I don't know. But at the time, I thought it was it was fantastic, and we'd not probably not long had a colour TV, if I'm honest. And I remember being um, probably too young to really appreciate some of the um, the nuances in the film, yeah. you know, because you are, aren't you, as a as a youngster, shall we say? Um, but as I've gotten older, I've watched it multiple times. I, I every time I watch it, I have a new, fresh appreciation of it as as an adult. And you see things, don't you, as an adult that you don't. You're too not. I don't want to use the word too stupid, but you're too naive to really understand some of the things that subtext occur goes right over your subtext, head. Subtext, yes, it? thank you. That, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> subtext completely goes over your head, and I didn't really appreciate the um the, the sense, or maybe I did, the sense of impending doom, and that's helped by the the Morricone music yeah. as well, with that sort of pounding and, and oh, the, that, the that violins. Oh, yeah. it's just. And I think I probably did appreciate it, but I just don't remember appreciating it at the time, I think. But that's my first memories of it, really. And then probably it was a good few years then, probably after I'd left home, until I saw it again. And then any time it was on TV, I'd catch it. But of yeah. course, at a later point, got a d- DVD of it. And then later still, you got Sky, and you just put it into Sky and find it and watch it whenever you want, you know. So yeah. I've seen it multiple, multiple times, as recently as this Saturday just gone, just so I can refresh myself and just enjoy it. Because what's not to like, well, from in my mind, what's not to like about the thing? Because it, it's got, for me, it's got everything in it. Because I, I like a bit of sci-fi. I love horror. Horror is my favourite genre of film. And it's just, for me, just, it, it ticks all my boxes. It's just a really bloody good film. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can't say anything bad about it, really. Just no, love it. It's, it's one of those films for me that, it was talked about when I was at school, but it never seemed to be on TV. Like Alien, mm. Aliens, those sort of ones, the Arnie action movies always seemed to be on TV. This one yeah. never seemed to be. And I was also told that it was like the goriest film you'd ever seen. And even as a youngster, horror-wise, I've never been a massive gore guy. Right, got you. I, I, I like you know, the stalk and slash kind of stuff and and that. So it was years. And then I caught it. It must have been on something like the Sci-Fi Channel in like 2000, 2001. Ah, uh, okay. And I'd missed the beginning, but I started watching it because I used to watch The X Files, and there's an episode of The X Files called Ice, which is very much like The Thing. It's in the yes. first season, it's season one, episode eight. And I was like, this is like The X Files. And I love films like The Thing, where it is a small group of people yep. isolated from the world. Yep. It's yep. why I like things like Assault on Precinct 13 as well, another John Carpenter, where it yep. is like a siege movie. It's people confined yep. in one location. Confined in one, yeah. And that cabin fever yeah. feeling and stuff. I, I like that because for me, 
it's an observation of the human condition. Yeah. And it's it's the way that anybody would, even if people go, well, I wouldn't behave like that. Confined in a space like that, and your life's depending on it, you will behave in a way. It's just natural. It's the yeah. human condition. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's like, again, when I first watched it, it was like just a sci-fi horror film. And then as yeah. I watched, like, you know, I didn't clock when I first watched it, like Blair smashing up the radio room and that isn't him being a thing and going nuts, even though he turns out to be a thing yeah. later on. It's him trying to stop it getting out so they can't communicate yes. with anybody. Yeah. They can't yeah. leave. And like all that stuff, I must have been, what, 20 odds in, yeah, 20 in 2000. So 2021 when I watched it. Yeah. Even then, all that stuff was like, because again, first time you watch a film, you don't really pick yeah, up of on course. the nuances. No, of course you don't. You know, you, I, th- I think personally, I think you need to watch a film a number of times to really immerse yourself in it and understand all the little subtext and all the little nuances that some of the characters are doing and saying yeah. and behaving. And then you bring it all together and think, wow, that's a well-written film when yeah. you bring it all together, definitely. But it changes with age as well, doesn't it? Amazing the amount yeah, of, of films I loved as a kid that as an adult, I can't believe I used to watch this on like a weekly oh. basis. My the amount God, of films I yeah. I've watched and been like, that was a bag of shit, wasn't it? And then rewatched it again. And I mean, I rewatched this again. I watched it Sunday night because my eldest yeah. wanted to watch it with me because he's 14 now and he's just getting into horror films. Got you. I was like, well, I need to watch the thing for this. It's like, well, I'll watch it too. And yeah, he loved it. And there's still bits Fantastic. in the thing. There's two bits in the thing that still make me jump every time. And I know they're coming. It's when... He's sat in the lab and then the power goes out and then somebody walks past the doorway. Oh, yeah. That bit always yeah. gets me. And when Blair appears and grabs Gary when they're setting the exposures oh. at the end. Yes. Yeah. The he fingers puts his in hand the in face. His fa- yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great scene. But, oh, God. Yeah. It's, I mean, John Carpenter's a master of this sort of thing. Totally. And again, I was kind of expecting it to be a slasher. It doesn't play like a slasher at all, which when you look at the thing from another world, the thing in that, obviously, Technology-wise, they couldn't do the stuff from the novella yeah. that um, John Carpenter could do, which was part of the thing for them wanting to remake it. Um, but he's very Michael Myers. James Arnez is the thing in that. and um, So I was expecting it to be like that a little bit because I'd seen the thing from another world as a kid because my stepdad used to watch all these old black and white 50s sci-fi movies. So right. it's one of those ones I remember seeing but not remember seeing all of it, if that makes sense. So I remember yes. bits of it when I was watching yeah. it. Um, and it's that's a great slice of McCarthy era communism fear, all American hokum. But I love it. Yeah, I, it's it's different enough to John, what John Carpenter did for yeah. me to put it on a par as because I adore the original one as well. Mm. It's like I say, if people watching it for the first time now with a modern sensibility might be like it's a bit kitchen that sort of thing. But yeah, and it, it was quite cool sort of 30 years later them actually going back and doing it with practical effects because the practical effects in this film are amazing they're superb aren't they and it's i suppose i, I mean it's been a, i have seen thing from another world but it was a long long yeah. time ago so i can't remember well i remember very little about it but when you think back you think oh yeah you know there was no no real special effects back in those days but when you think back to 1982 the special effects weren't like you know all singing all dancing like they are nowadays yeah. but i I mean, don't get me wrong, I like a bit of FX and, you know, digital effects and things like that. And, you know, they have their place, but you can't beat a bit of, um, you know, when you think back to things like American Werewolf, where the effects yeah. were done backwards, you know, the hair growing. He did it by pulling it backwards and yeah. stuff. And then, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, yes, it's time consuming. Yes, it's expensive. 
it's you know takes a lot of resource but I, I I love that and you could go well it's a bit rubbery isn't it but I, I at the time when I was I was younger when I was watching it I didn't see the rubberiness of it I just thought it was brilliant and yeah. even now I don't think I don't think it for me anyway in my mind I don't think it's lost anything I don't I think it's aged superbly yeah you know and it's just you know the special effects I think are great but it's not and again, people may disagree with me on this one, but I don't think the special effects are overdone insofar as it, the whole film isn't anchored on the special effects. For me, I think there's, there's, I think the characters are well-rounded enough. And I know you, you, you were reading that um, review, and somebody dissed the, the character sort of, um, you know, build up and stuff. But I thought, I think the characters are, are, they're rounded enough for you to dislike some of them. For me, that's yeah. a good that's a, that's a good a sign of a good writing and a sign of a good acting. If there's characters in there, you think I really don't like you and hope you get yours. Where there's other characters, you're really rooting for them. You know, like Macready is a, is a fun. I mean, he's a great actor anyway. Yeah. But Macready's got he's got everything. I remember at the time, my brother had a bit of a man crush on him. Like like most blokes will have a man crush on on another bloke, and he had a man crush because he, he was he was everything, wasn't he? He was tough. You know, he had the fantastic hair. He was good looking. He was a natural leader because it, it was um because he wasn't the leader, was he? It was the guy who ended up having his um, yeah. Gary Gary was the leader. Gary, thank you. Gary was the commander, wasn't he? So, but it, he ended up sort of giving up his commandership, if you were, and if you will, and um, McCready took over. But he was he was a character that you you um you wanted to to succeed yeah. in like looking after the camp, um, kind of thing. But yeah, I I I, I would disagree with people if they say, oh well, the characters are not you know, uh, secondary to the special effects. They're not. I think they have equal sort of, um, I think it's balanced myself. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I suppose on paper as characters, they are quite thin, but they give you just mm. enough of what you need. Yes. You don't get the whole, you know, oh, my wife and kids are waiting for me at home, all that sort of stuff, because you don't exactly. need it. Because you... No. I'd say even the characters you don't like, like you don't really like Gary initially. Mm. You do feel for him when he dies. Yeah, he, of course. Of, and he has that amazing line of like, you know, I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. But I quite oh, like it's my favourite line. And all of this winter tied to the fucking sofa. Oh, yeah. I love that line. It's just it's just the way he delivers it with it because I know you gentlemen have been through a lot this winter. It's just the way he starts <laughs> off. And then he's, the poor guy's all on his own strapped to that couch. It's, it. it's that <laughs> and Palmer's line when Norris's head thing walks off and he just looks at you and goes, you've got to be fucking kidding. Fucking kidding me, yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely brilliant. Because like, I remember at the time thinking, I th probably thought the same thing myself in my own mind, thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. And it's a, it's an iconic scene, isn't it? And I've seen many people, see many kind of artists' uh, renditions of, of this, this thing that just sprouts these legs and you think, That's, for, for 1982, that to me is... Really good special effects, I think. Anyway, I think it's absolutely superb. But I think the special effects, the, the, the things that the one that fascinates fascinates me now, even now, is the dog, where the dog yeah. goes into the and then it, all the other dogs like yeah. As, as a dog lover, that scene is really hard to watch. But it's hard it, it's to not, watch. It's isn't not it? a thing movie unless they kill a dog. It's, it's yeah. consistent in all three. So. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But that, I mean, that when there was that those arms come out of its back and grab all the thing, and I remember thinking. It's going to escape. Kill it, kill it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I'm like that now, even though I've seen it umpteen times. I'm thinking, it's going to escape. It's going to get out. Kill it. <laughs> Burn it. <laughs> That's the genius of this film for me, is you get so many moments of quiet sort of horror. Yeah. And so you're not expecting, like when um, Copper gets his arms bitten off when he's trying to resuscitate Norris. Yeah. Which yeah. is so incredibly that well done. 
it's that really um that that was a shock when I when I first yeah. watched it that made me jump because I was not expecting that. I mean, obviously now it's a bit different because you're waiting for it, only but I was not expecting that at all. And I think did I read somewhere that he used did he use um a stunt double? That didn't have any used, arms. I yeah, think. He used a double amputee, and then they yeah, just that's... put a mask on him. But you don't notice the mask because you're too that, looking you're at too the busy. arms yes. bleeding. Yeah, that's wow. That, that was like, and I, the other thing as well that, um, and again, this is slightly off off topic a little bit, but the thing that also fascinated me was um, Doc had a nose ring, and yeah. I thought that was quite unique at the time. And I'm thinking, I like that. <laughs> yeah, because I was watching ring. it the other day. I was like, has he got a nose ring? Or was it just the way the yeah. lights hit him? Yeah, so I, I like 1982, that. you didn't see nose rings a lot. No, you didn't. Particularly in men. Not that yeah. there's anything wrong with it. I, you know, I, I quite like a piercing myself. But yeah, I thought, yeah, I like that. That that struck me as quite quite funky and quite modern, yeah. you know, for, for the time kind of thing. So yeah, they all, I think all the characters had something about them that, that you know, you could anchor, I think. Yeah. They're all so very different. That's what I liked about them. So very different. And then, obviously, like any situation, they start to turn on each other. Like I think, what what is it that McCready says? We're all very tired when he's when he's um, recording into that thing, and he says, "I'm going to hide this tape when I'm finished. If none of us make it, at least there'll be some kind of record." The storm's been hitting us hard now for 48 hours. We still have nothing to go on. One other thing, I think it rips through your clothes when it takes you over. Windows found some shredded long johns, but the name tag was missing. They could be anybody's. Nobody, nobody trusts anybody now. We're all very tired. Nobody trusts anybody now. There's nothing else I can do. Just wait. R.J. McCready, helicopter pilot, U.S. outpost number 31. Yeah, that's exactly how it how it would be. It has kind of, um, I don't know, it has connotations to when everything that's anything and everything that ever happens in life, isn't it? Nobody yeah. trusts each other, we're all very tired. <laughs> that's it, because yeah. you look, it, it ends, sort of culminates to a degree with him shooting Clark in the head. Mm. Clark, who wasn't infected at all, but because he charged it in with a scalpel, he took yeah. the bullet to the head kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And of course, when they did that test, it's like, you killed an innocent yeah. man now. It's like... Charles had that great yeah. line of when he says, uh, so Clark was a human. He says, well, yeah. that makes you a murderer. Yeah. It's like, well, fuck, yeah, yeah it is. But yeah. that's what I love about this, the way it sows those seeds of... Yes. It's not a whodunit, it's a who is it. But yes. And and there's, there's something... I quite like a film where you know who the bad guy or the monster or where you know kind of who it is at the beginning and then you watch the whole film but i i also like things where you don't know you're not really yeah. sure and and of course when you re-watch the thing now you know who it is you know who's going to turn but it, it's, it doesn't spoil it for me i could no. watch it i could go and watch it now i enjoy it that much it's probably one of my favorite and i know it sits into because i'm not a huge sci-fi fan 
I'm more of a horror fan because but this sits in both camps, doesn't it? Yeah. Sci-fi stroke horror. But it's the I, I don't mind I mean too sci-fi and, and it turns me off a little bit, but this is just the right amount for me. It's yeah. just that nice balance. The fun of rewatching is working out when they get taken over by the thing. Yes. I still struggle to pinpoint when Blair gets taken over. Yeah. Obviously, because, he's, that... he's still human when he's like working out how quickly it spread, if it got out into oh, the when he starts smashing I, the place up. And when I they lock that. him up, you see, I love that when they go back to check on him or ask him if he's seen um, whoever it is that's gone missing, he's made a noose. He's made a noose, yes. Yeah, that was something that I'd forgotten. And the other thing I'd also uh, forgotten when I watched it again on Saturday was when the dog's still roaming loose. Yeah. And the dog goes into the living quarters and just goes into somebody's living quarters and you see a shadow of somebody on the wall. And I think I read that that shadow isn't any one of those actors. It's one yeah, of the extras because he didn't want anybody recognising the shadow. He wanted it to be ambiguous enough. I mean, think, yeah. I think trying to work it out logically, it's probably Norris. Because mm. I think it's too early for it to be Palmer. It'd either be Norris or Palmer. I yes. always thought it was Clark. Because he, he was the dog guy. Because he was the handler. Yes. Yeah. I think even in my notes initially, I wrote, um, "I love that we see the shadow when he goes into Clark's room." Because I love yeah. that bit. I love. It. It's a bit like the end of Halloween. I love that he shoots the empty rooms, and then you see yes. the dog appear out of the door. Yes. And yeah. then slowly walk down the hallway, looking in different rooms, until he finds a room with somebody alone in. Yeah, and I think I think the way the dog is is um, filmed is actually quite beautiful because it's yeah. such. You know, obviously, it'd be it'd be a dog that's been trained for working in films and stuff but it's quite a quite a beautiful way it's it's kind of wandering around then it goes into the table when they're, they're playing cards and the, yeah. and the guy goes ah because it touches his, his yeah. leg and he says yeah, put that dog in the in the in the kennels whatever he calls it and it's just the way it just walks around stops and looks and that's quite um i think it, obviously now it's different because you know but i think before you know when you first watch the film you you as a kind of film watcher you'll think there's a reason they're doing this because it's like in any film now as an adult when something happens you go there's a reason that's happened we're going to go back we're going to circle back to that at some point so when you watch it as a, even as a kid when i watched it i don't know how old i would have been um but even as a kid i was thinking something's going to happen with this dog why are they filming this dog and of course it's, it did didn't it yeah. so you know I, I was i wasn't uh i wasn't daft as a kid i could understand what was going on in that respect even though i'd forgotten a lot of stuff i, I think as well because you've got um Morricone's theme, which is like the Jaws theme. So Super, you've got that yeah. dum 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 yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. So you know that, you know, yeah. even if you don't know that the dog is the thing, you know there's something not right about the it's dog. Got that. And then it's used yeah. whenever there's a thing around kind of thing. I mean, yeah. again, this film is so great at laying the breadcrumbs of what's to come. So, like, you know, you, you've got the dog, you've got when they're going through the wreckage of the chopper or the kerosene that it was carrying. So obviously, yeah. you know, they were going to kill it and burn it. Yeah. Um, You've got the body in the Norwegian thing where he slit mm-hmm. his throat and you've just got the blood frozen. Oh, that's that's a superb um, shot, that, isn't it? Hand. Yeah. 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 Um, obviously, you've got the big thing of ice with the missing occupant in it. Yeah. You've got the mutated burned body. You've got all that stuff of just laying yeah. the groundwork of what's to come. But it's yeah. so much you don't really clock it in the first time. Yeah. You watch it. Something I never noticed as well. I watched, I've mentioned him before. There's a guy on YouTube who does Who Killed Who videos called Zach Cherry. And he did one for the thing. And something I never noticed is, or never considered is when the dog runs up to Benin's when he's being chased by the helicopter, mm. he's trying to lick him, but not making contact. And he said in that video that he thinks that's the dog trying to infect Benin's. 
because ah. he's if he gets shot, he needs to move on to another host quickly. Because ah. the dog's very docile once yeah. the Norwegian guy's been shot by Gary. He can take his time, get the lay of the land, that sort of thing. Because I love that. It is the dog just getting the lay of the land, yeah. working out who's who. Yeah, yeah. And it's not something I considered. You know, I just assumed, you know, even though it was a thing dog, it was acting like a friendly dog trying to lick him. Yeah, I never thought about that. That's made me rethink that little scene now. Interesting. Because this is one of those films, a bit like The Shining, there's so many conspiracy theories around it, like, say, of who's who, Mm. when they stopped being who. The ending, there's loads of theories around, which we'll come to when we get to the ending. Um, It's Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of this film, is that it's such a great... It doesn't tie everything up nicely for you. It leaves everything ambiguous for you. Even the stuff yeah. that you think is yeah, absolutely. black and white is very still ambiguous. Yeah, which I, I, I like. I don't I don't need necessarily for a film to to tie everything up nicely for me. I'm I don't I'm more than happy to watch a film and go, I'm trying to think, what did we watch the other night? And I went, well, I really enjoyed the film. I've got absolutely no idea what the hell it was about, yeah. but I enjoyed it. And I don't mind that. If 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 a film has got um good acting in it, um, it, it it kind of immerses you in it and you're interested in the characters, whether you like them or not. That, to me, is a sign of a good film. But speaking of um, like not being aware of stuff, there's something that I, I, I've I forgotten and I'd forgotten again until I watched it, is at the very, very beginning of this film, you see the flying saucer. Yeah. Go through the, and I'd forgotten about that. And I'd, I don't know how or why I had, but that kind of already sets the scene then, doesn't it? You know, it's yeah, kind of... because it really struck me this time that it's very much the same as the opening shot of Predator. Ah, Which is a spaceship. Right. Obviously, Predator yeah. came afterwards, so I don't know whether Predator was deeply paying homage or whether it's just a coincidence. Got you. Yeah, but yeah. It's very similar, the ship and the curvature of the Earth ah, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that kind of laid it out a bit. And, and apparently, and I don't know whether this is true, but we'd have to speak to a Norwegian... But if you can speak Norwegian, that guy at the beginning basically tells you that everything. Yeah. He's speaking in Norwegian. And, and apparently, it's, it's like not I said, a dog, I don't know, it's an alien. Yeah, he tells him everything. And then obviously he goes a bit mad and, and Gary shoots him. But um, I'd have to, I wonder if I've, I've got a Scandinavian friend and I don't know if they, they often know a lot of the different languages, a lot of crossover. So you might be able to tell me, I don't know. But um, but yeah, that, I thought that's quite interesting for any Norwegians who do watch it and go, oh, Oh, okay, then. <laughs> That's the film, then. <laughs> yeah, because I always thought, why do they take the dog in like that? Why don't they at least wonder why they're trying to kill it? But I always forget that there's that little bit with a, like, cabin fever makes you go crazy. Yeah. Kind of thing. And they just put it down to cabin fever. Because, again, I suppose you wouldn't think, mm. you know, it's an alien or it's got a parasite in it or anything like that. Yeah, it's the last thing you think, isn't it, really? But um, obviously, they're to their detriment. The, they let the dog go wandering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I know John Carpenter wasn't keen on doing it because he loves the original thing from Another World. It mm. was the blood test scene that really got him excited for doing it. Because in Halloween, super... they're watching thing from Another World on the TV. That, that's, yeah, you're, yeah, that's right. I, I love that little uh, little nod to it in that. Which yeah. is why I always wonder whether Michael Myers was sort of an homage to mm. James Arness's thing from that film. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that blood test scene is amazing. I love that. I, I was just again, it was when I very first watched it. That that was another shocker where it made me jump. Where when he puts that thing in that in the blood just flies out of the petri dish. Yeah, that that was a real kind of oh my god. And then of course Palmer starts 
like shaking and turning, uh, you know, his eyes start popping and stuff. And that, that whole scene is just, and then of course, the great sort of trope you get in films where something won't, like a car won't start or whatever. And he's, he's the flamethrower won't, won't kick in. Yeah. It's like, and he's trying to, is it, is that the scene or is it the other one? Yeah. And his flamethrower won't kick. He's like, burn him. It's yeah. like, burn him and he won't kick. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> I think it's because he's, they're so convinced it's Gary. Mm. And he says, we'll, we'll save that. We'll test you last kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. And then there's so much tension of them put in the hot bit of metal into the blood. Yeah. You kind of you're like they're going to keep doing it and it's going to be the last one. They even tell yeah. you to expect it to be the last one. And exactly. Then he's got Palmer in his hand. It just sort of bursts up like that. And yeah. It's such a great thing. It's I've read fantastic. a couple of things that sort of speculate that it's obviously early eighties, the rise of AIDS. Whether it was mm. an allegory for that, I don't know whether it was whether that was something mm. intentional or not. It's just such a great idea. Yeah, but it, I think in the '78 version of the script that was also in there as well, and I think it's in the book if I remember rightly. Oh, okay. It's been a long time since I've read the novella. I've only read it once. Right, right. And it was sort of a skim read because I borrowed it off someone mm. and only had a short amount of time to read it. Mm. Um, I do need to get it because I love everything about it, the thing. <laughs> oh God, yeah, it's 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 fu- it's quite funny because um, when we used to commute into Manchester and back on the way out Salford. There's um, uh, you're always stuck in traffic on the way out of Salford. And um, when I look to the left, there's a road called McCready Road. And every time I'd see it, I'd always think, oh, I must watch the thing. <laughs> it always just made me think about watching the thing. That's it. But, um, Spe- speaking of Mac, that's one of the things that people cottoned on to is that you've got a Mac and a Windows yes. in the film. But obviously neither <laughs> yeah. company existed at the time. It's just a coincidence. But... It's just coincidence. And poor Windows gets, gets his head eaten, doesn't he, by uh, yeah. Palmer. When Palmer turns, because it all happens so quickly. And it's the fact that he shoots up to the ceiling, drops back down in front of windows, and you think, for God's sake, kill him. But it's like he just, just basically eats him, doesn't he? It, spins he, him he, around the room. Eats his face, yeah. <laughs> yeah, do you think, oh, poor windows. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's such a horrible way to die. <laughs> oh, God. But I, the, um, I tell you what I do like as well, and I, you, you may you may well have gotten to talking about this, Stuart, but it's the fact that it's such a small ensemble cast, and then any extras were, like in the photograph, were actually just sort of extras on the set, you know, yeah. working cameraman and things like that. And of course you've got the Norwegian guy who comes and says everything in, in Norwegian. And of course you've got Adrian Barbeau who does the voice of the chess master, yeah. who's who was Carpenter's wife at the time, who was also in The Fog, which is another one of my favourite films. I love that film because they're all kind of, I think The Fog was it, was it 81? I think so, yeah. This was so his 80- first major studio movie, wasn't it? Yeah. So I think, oh yes, yeah, so we've got The Fog, sorry, The Fog was 80. American Wealth is 81. American Wealth is one of my absolute favourite films. I love that. And The Thing, 82. So three superb films, like one year after the other, although I never watched them in the years they were released. I'd yeah. watch, I watched them years later because I didn't, didn't really go there. Well, I wouldn't have been allowed to go to the cinema to watch that because I would have been too young. <laughs> I'm, not as, I'm not that old, not yet, anyway. <laughs> I do like that that Norwegian guy can't, can't shoot for shit. Uh, when he's trying to shoot the dog and then he can't drop grenades for shit either yeah that's one thing that i mean it's a it's a little thing but i I do get find myself getting annoyed about it and and i'll I'll always say it's like when policemen or police officers police women in um films and they're shooting at somebody and they shoot like a lot round off and they don't hit the person you think hang on a minute won't you have been to training and i know it's for film and i know it's i realize it's for special you know for tension and all the rest of it thinking well they should have shot them right between the eyes they will have gone to training to do that (laughs) it drives me insane 
<laughs> it's like, I'm always like, why do they always at the end of the street shout police far enough away from them to run off? <laughs> Get closer, then shout please. Yeah, and why exactly. don't you shoot them in the leg? A non-fatal shot, just in the leg, that'll slow In the leg. Down. Yeah, or when they're shooting at cars, shoot the tires. tires. Yeah, exactly. But then the film would only be 15 minutes long then, and that'd be it, wouldn't it? it? (laughs) (laughs) Then we'd be complaining, wouldn't we? We're bloody 15 minutes long, that. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of Uh, on the characters, uh, Roger Ebert in his thing said that, you know, it's implausible behaviour from the scientists. Again, I completely disagree. You've got... I agree. I disagree. You've got Fox that... It's the sensible one who's like, you know, we should all stay in our rooms, we should bear our own food, we should eat from cans. Yes, eat from cans, yeah. In a slasher movie, it'd be like, yeah, let's just go fuck in the hot tub. and Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then that that's completely implausible. Although now and again, it, that these days, you, they do, don't they? Something's going on. They open a door in a cabin in the middle of the night and you go, what are you doing? <laughs> Never underestimate a horny teenager, to be fair. Uh, well, this is true. This is very true, it's yeah. Like, there is a mad slasher out there, but I could get laid. It's yeah, worth well, the risk if I've got to yeah, go. I'm in a skimpy bra. I can <laughs> go out there and look sexy. You know, it's like, no, I'm I'm sorry, mate. I'm staying indoors. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I to- I I'm with you, Stuart. I totally disagree. I don't think because I I don't know how you could say that what they do is implausible or, or whatever he says because they're in this confined space. They've got a limited amount of uh, resources. There's only so much they can do. I don't think they behave in any any other way than the way they would behave in that situation, personally. No, that's it. And the, the doubts, the infighting are all inbred into it. 100%. And again, as much as I love the original, there's so many characters in that that you just barely recognise. They all look quite alike in an old American black and white film. They've all got the same haircut. They're all wearing army uniforms. Or they're all scientists. Yeah. And yeah. I couldn't name some of the characters from the original one. Mm. I could name at least four or five from this film. So that's nearly yes. half of the... Yeah. And they're, they're also great. I think, obviously, Kurt Russell's Kurt Russell. He's amazing. Oh, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah. He's just, you know, he's Kurt Russell. But Wilfred Brimley is superb as Blair. He is good, isn't he? And I hadn't, I didn't, well, I must have seen him in other stuff. I, I must have done. Yeah, he's um, like yeah, Cocoon he's... and... <laughs> That's it. I knew I knew there was something that I'd I'd seen him in, and I just couldn't he, recall what it he was. He had a happy alien experience as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Wilfred um, Brimley is one of those actors that he's like always looked like seventy odd. Yeah, like John Ashton in Police Academy, where you find out he's only like thirty in that. Not Police Academy, Beverly Hills Cop. You find out he's only thirty or something in that film. You're like Jesus, <laughs> he's great and. Richard Dysart as uh, Copper is great. They're all great. Norris is the guy who plays Norris as well. Um, Charles Hallahan. Yeah. He's superb. He's such a quiet, unassuming thing, which is yeah. why he's the Gary's pick to lead when he steps down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even like, you know, um, Knowles, who's just a small part, really, as the cook. Yeah. I, the I like him. skates in and out at the beginning. I, I love and, that. Yeah. And when he's, when, um, He's possibly uh, the only implausibly stupid thing where he just wanders off down the thing. Yeah. Because he's looking for Gary or hears a noise, but doesn't say to McCready or anything. He just wanders off. That's just probably the off. only like stupid thing. But then he's not a scientist. He's a cook. Not saying that cook? cooks are stupid. No, but... no. But he's, yeah, he's got that like kind of laid back. And I like his laid back attitude. And I love that bit where, where the other guy, I can't remember who it was, the one who got shot. And he says, asked him to turn his music down. And he just yeah. kind of touches the stereo and just carries on. It's like, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess is why you don't hear the dog assimilating yep. whoever it is. 
Um, because again, with Blair, I know there's a bit, I don't know if it was just the actor's choice where he touches with the eraser on the end of his pencil, he touches the um, mutilated dog carcass, then puts it to his lip. But dude, no, yeah. Which and that I, I, then he, caused some people to speculate that that's when he gets infected because he obviously doesn't get attacked by a thing because his clothes are never ripped. Yes. So he obviously gets an infection in his system either through saliva or blood or something like that. Yeah, because he's, he's when he's doing like those autopsies, he's got gloves on, which don't go very high, which, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I quite like my hygiene. I'm quite a hygienic person. So I, I immediately think, oh, his gloves aren't very high. And then he hasn't got a mask on. And I'm thinking yeah. if he's if something splurts out when he's open opening up this carcass and he's he's kind of peeling back the skin over the like the you know the the bone that starts to sort of configure. And I'm thinking, you should really wear a mask, mate, and some goggles. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. That's, that's well, I think he wipes his hand but then still touches his face no, and hand. No, it's it reminded like, me no. of when COVID was going on, they were making us all wear gloves at work. And my boss would be really strict about having gloves on, but then she'd be sat at her desk eating a sandwich with her gloves on. No, What's the fucking no. point? <laughs> oh God, I never, I never really understood that of the whole wearing gloves scenario. No, because you still do this. You still do this. So wear your gloves, take them off. But uh, I, I did something. That's something I didn't do was wear gloves. I, I got when I, I in the first lockdown, I had to go for a checkup. And I didn't want to miss the checkup because it's a, it's an important checkup as women have to have these checkups. And I went and I had to stand outside with a mask on and they made us wear rubber gloves as well. That was the first time I'd worn rubber. So I, I felt like somebody going into a, a like an operating theatre because I stood. We, they made us stand outside. I stood there like this. So obviously, obviously people listening to this can't see this, but I had my hands up in front of my face and I kind of shuffled in like, like, like this. Like a surgeon. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, right, don't touch anything. But now I have to get undressed. <laughs> well i'm gonna to touch myself now with my gloves anyway it was it was fine but yeah i'll never understand that it's like oh i'll wear gloves but then i'll use the same gloved hand to pick up my food uh, no. <laughs> i mean the problem i had with them was because we were wearing them on our reins one you'd get so sweaty in them but two i oh, kept losing yeah. fingers of the gloves in people's letterboxes of course oh, letterboxes are nasty pieces of work they can they can have your so, finger like, off, yeah. unless i'm going to change my gloves for each bit of post i pick up what's the point <laughs> yes yeah no no, just, just just wash your hands. Just keep washing your hands and using sanitizer. They, which it. I've always always used sanitizer even before the pandemic, and I still do now. You know, that's that's a weird flashback to a <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago, and but God, you know, yeah. kind of similar. <laughs> Again, watching <laughs> this film, you kind of like, yeah, Jesus, we never survive in a thing type scenario. <laughs> oh my God! Well, the the thing the thing that would happen is like. As it did happen when when we had a, an apocalyptic pandemic, is that you'll get some people who it will bring out the good in people, and then you've got people who just turn on each other. And of course that and the, that whole kind of um, cabin fever thing, which yeah. happened quite a bit when everyone was like, I, I know it kind of it it split marriages up, didn't it? Being stuck in the house together because that's how people survived in their marriages by not being in the house all the time, and it was difficult. So this is the same thing on this this you know, station out in, you know, Antarctica, they're shoved together and then they, this mass distrust of each other. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's the same old trope, isn't it? It's like anything you watch where there's some kind of apocalyptic event, any kind of zombie apocalypse or, because I love, I love things with, any film with zombies in, vampires in, any kind of monsters in, I, I just love them. I, I like suck them up. I think they're great because, because they're so far-fetched. The actual monsters and, um, things and aliens 
are far-fetched, but the reactions of people aren't. That's yeah. what I like about these films is because what goes on around in the human side of things is exactly what happens in real life or what would happen in that situation if that were to happen. And we had a taste of this, didn't we, back in yeah. 21, 2020, 21, 22, and so on. But yeah, that's what I like about these things because I I don't believe in them, but I believe in people's reactions. And that's what I like yeah. about this film is that, you know, I'm a rationalist, so I don't believe in, in all that stuff, but I just love the way that um, the, the humans in it behave around it and behave with each other. It's just, for me, it's just, I don't know, one of my top five films, I think, the thing. Just yeah, no, that's it. I mean, it, we all like to think in that situation we'd be McCready, but odds are most of us would be Windows. It's yes. like in a, in a war situation, we all like to think yeah. we'd be the gung-ho hero going up over the yep. thing. When we wouldn't, we'd be the guy no. crying, in, sat in his own piss. Just Yes, that would be me. Crying yeah. and probably end up getting shot by his own soldiers because he defected. <laughs> Yeah, I'd probably end up shooting myself by accident in a fit of panic. <laughs> in some ways, like Windows is the most relatable character because he does freak out. Yeah, and he's trying to get like service, isn't he? He's trying to sort of get uh, send out an SOS. Yeah, and then it was it comes in and says, "Have you have you managed to get hold of anybody?" He said, "I've been trying for weeks, and he, he can't get hold of anybody." You just think, "Oh, you poor guy." He's... and I tell you what, I do like about him as well, which I, I hadn't noticed. The past few times, well, maybe I hadn't hadn't thought about it, is that he's got he wears sunglasses. He wears sunglasses all the time inside as well as outside. And I don't know, it's something quite funky about him. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> doing that. Thomas Waits came in and said he wanted to be called Windows because he was going to wear sunglasses all the time. And John Carpenter, for some reason, was just I don't know if that's apocry apocryphal or not. Ah, uh, okay. Read it a couple of places, and I'm, yeah, yeah, I think they mentioned it in one of the documentaries. And he's kind of like you know, so that's where that came from. But it's. Uh. And again, there's a theory that the whole debate over the keys to the blood thing where Gary says mm. he only ever gave them to Hopper or he had them himself, but he yeah. doesn't. He gives them to Gary because um, Benin's before he gets assimilated, sends him out to get mm. the keys and then um, Windows drops them. So obviously when he then goes and smashes to try and get the gun because he's freaking out, he's worried that they're going to remember that he gave him the keys. and Yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just tiny little bits like that that you don't notice, but then somebody's kind of like, "Did you ever notice that?" And maybe make that ah, kind of, oh, yeah, yeah. You see, that is probably going to make me want to watch it again. Which yeah. it's no hardship. I said I'll have to watch <laughs> it again. But, <laughs> but well, it's, it's like, one of these films that you need to watch it numerous times, I think, to get all the little things that you miss. Yeah, and John Carpenter's so inconsistent. Um, we'll come to it when we talk about the end end scene. It's an amazing end scene. Um, yes. But he's so inconsistent in supporting and then later debunking fan theories about different things or yeah. endorsing prequels or video game tie-ins. Yeah. Because um, I think it was a video game that came out that McCready's in it. And they've said uh, that okay. canon. So that confirms that McCready lived. But then Carpenter's um... come out later and said, actually, no, it's not. I mean, um, with this, we're looking at it within the confines of this film. Because yes. again, when he yeah. made it, he had no idea there was going to be an expanded world beyond it. Mm. I know this was the first part of his apo unofficial Apocalypse trilogy, which was this, um, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. Oh, okay. Three films in his Apocalypse trilogy. Right. Um, so yeah, not same characters crossing over, but just thematically end of yeah. the world stuff. Because again, there's a theory ah, okay. that, that 
Windows can't get anybody on the radio because the thing's already simulated the world. Now that's an interesting Which um, is debunked idea. by the prequel. But I, I don't like that idea. I like that there's just something causing interference. I like that it is just contained in this little thing and that, you know, they do at least yeah. get the victory of potentially yes. containing it. Yes, because I know we'll get onto this, but yeah, the, the like it, the, the bit at the end where it's like, well, they look to me like they're just going to sit it out because they're, yeah. they're going to die. You know, they, they, they resign themselves to the fact that they're yeah. not getting out of it alive. Yeah, and then that that way they hopefully contain it. You know, and, yeah. unless someone comes to come and obviously not rescue them, but comes and then ends up inadvertently infecting themselves and going back to to the rest of the world and, and stuff. It's a bit like I always think think back to the alien films where Ripley tries to contain it. Yeah. You know, and then it, 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 you know, she does her best. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen the alien films, so I'd need to refresh myself on them. But, you know, the fact that she tries to stop stuff and it ends up coming into the, to the, um, the spaceship and stuff. And it's that whole thing of, we have to stop it. We have to stop it getting out. And it's, it's, I love that, uh, that idea of things of, of trying to contain something and, and stopping it getting out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same. It's, it's been done over and over and over again, in, but in different ways and in, in different films dealing That's with it. different apocalyptic. I'm I'm not a big fan of apo- ap- apocalyptic films. I've got a friend who um, has a real aversion to apocalyptic films. She's never been able to watch them. I wasn't too bad, and then as I've gotten older, I've started to not like them because I find them a bit too <laughs> near the knuckle. <laughs> because yeah. you know, it's a bit too you know real. I find it more when I had kids. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, weirdly, the film that really got me was a Steve Carell film called Seeking a Friend for the End of the Universe. I've never for seen For the it. End of the World or something. Right. And it's a comedy and it's quite funny, but just all I had in my head was, I don't want the world to fucking end. Mm. I want my kids to live a full life. I don't, don't really yeah, give a fuck yeah, if that happens to me yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, yeah. It's yeah. kind of that thing. Um, I like with this as well that, like in the original thing, You've got the scientist who wants to keep it alive because, all right, he misguided he wants to communicate it with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, But in this, there's nobody saying we need to keep this alive. Yeah. You know, think of all the money we can make. Obviously, they make the comment about, you know, the mutilated two-headed, what split-head one. Yeah. Like the find of the century kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But nobody fights when he's like, we're going to take it out and we're going to burn it all. Yeah. Probably because there's like there's a couple of scientists, isn't there? There's a couple of geologists, is it, or biologists there? Yeah. An assistant biologist, and you've got the two the two doctors, and you think, yeah, they've got a bit of sense about them to say, no, let's let's stop this in it in its tracks, kind of thing. Because like the alien films, like in the first one, you've got Ash, the android, who's trying to keep the alien mm-hmm. alive. You've got Burke in the second one, who wants to capture one for the company. Um, obviously, in the third one, bishops come into take Ripley back alive, yeah. all that sort of stuff. You've got none of that here, and I like that. It's none of that infighting is about that. It's about, yes. I don't know who you are. Yes. And I love McCready's little speech after they burned, is it after they burned Benin's, where he says, I know I'm human. And yes. if you were all things, you'd be attacking me. So I know, exactly. know at least some of you are human. I know I'm human. If you were all these things, then you'd just attack me right now. So some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to. But it's vulnerable out in the open. 
If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. That's it. That's it's right. It's such yeah. a great reasoning as well. And I love that yeah. the thing doesn't just attack. It tries to get people alone. Yes. Because it wants to survive. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's that whole, you know, tagline of the film, man is the warmest place to hide. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. But it, it's only when it's pinned in a corner that it actually shows itself to a large group of people. So like yeah. when they're trying to revive Norris and the, his chest opens up. Yeah. And that sort yeah. of thing. Or when Palmer gets exposed. Otherwise, yeah. it's the dog going into the room with, we'll call him Norris, but whoever. Whoever, and, yeah, and the, quietly, the shadow, the silhouette. Yeah. Quietly taking him over. Yeah. You, you, you're kind of like, why did you make such a fuss with the dogs? You could have caught, <laughs> you really gave yourself yeah. away. Um, yeah. Sort of talking about that, because obviously we've talked, was, um, Rob Bottin was the guy who did the special mm. effects. They yeah. did bring Stan Winston in for the dog bit just because they were up against it time-wise, but Stan Winston mm. didn't want to be credited, which hats off to Stan Winston being kind of like, no, this is Rob Bottin's thing. I don't want to take any line away from you. You put that Stan Winston did something like that. Everybody will be questioning how much Rob actually did mm. kind of thing. It's a bit like finding out that Steven Spielberg came in and shot a day's film and just kind of like, well, how much of this film is Steven Spielberg's now kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Um, you get a master in, you suddenly doubt the thing. It's such amazing work. I always thought it was a Stan Winston or a... Um... Shit, his name's gone from my head. American Werewolf Baker. in London guy. Rick yeah, Baker, Rick Baker. Yeah. I, it's very Rick Baker-esque, isn't it? Yeah. I always thought it was that because, I mean, you've got a little bit of the H.P. Lovecraft thing, which I'm not a big H.P. Lovecraft guy, but I appreciate the stuff like, you know, the tentacles. When the dog's skull falls away and the tongue tentacle comes out. It's it's phenomenal, isn't it? It's, I, I Like, when I was younger, I did think it was Rick Baker. And then obviously yeah. with, the, with the onset of the internet where you could look things up, you know, in an instant. And that's when I think because yeah, it, it, it's it in the credits, but we, we never watched the credits mm. as a kid. Well, Once the film that, ended, you just because there was nothing it. in the credits. Exactly. I'm just interested in who played the, the parts, you know. But I think because um, I think he also worked. He worked on um, the fog, and he also worked on the howling, as well. And he also worked on fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Um, I can see that actually. But, mm. And he also worked, but he worked with. Um, uh, is it Paul? Verhoeven, Verhoeven, Paul, Robocop, yeah. Total Recall, and Basic Instinct, and David Fincher for um, Seven and Fight Club. Yeah, because yeah. I think Palmer's eyes were supposed to pop out of his head when he transforms, but they couldn't do that well enough. That so he kept that and he used that in Total Recall when they're out on Mars. That's and, it. And he's doing the. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. I love that bit. Yeah, that's fantastic. That is. Uh, but but yeah, it's just I mean, such amazing work, and again, it's, it's superb. Yeah, I always forget his name. I must admit, I had to look it up again for this. I did write it down somewhere, but I can't see where I've written it down, so it was easier to just look it up again. Mm. But I mean, we know a Stan Winston. I know I forgot his name just then because I had forty-year-old brain fog, um, or forty-something brain fog. Uh, Rick Baker, but it's a bit yeah. like posters. It's like you know, Drew Struzan, which Drew Struzan's oh. poster for this is amazing. I know John Carpenter didn't like it because he's. He said you might as well put a machete in his hand. It just looks like a slasher movie. But I well, think the, it works really well. Do you know the story of the poster about what happened with, with Drew Struzan? Yes, he says it in the documentary, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. When it, it was still wet when yeah. they come to pick it up. The courier came to pick it up. He said, be careful, it's still wet. And they were putting it in the scanner. I mean, this is, you know, this is the days where things were actually physically painted and then couriered. You couldn't just, like, you know, email something and, you know, or do it digitally or whatever. 
and they were putting it in the scanner, still wet, still acrylic wet. And you think that's a superb story. But he did it in, he did it overnight, just did it in like 24 hours. And you think, my God, you it's, know. it's such an iconic poster. Yeah. It's like when Arrow released it, Arrow, when they release them, they do um, like specially commissioned sleeves. I don't mm. like the one Arrow did for it, where it's just the hood with a like domey face with snow reflected in it. Oh, okay. it works I, so I much better that. with the light coming out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, no disrespect to Arrow, it's it's fine. It's just I don't like mm. it as much. Arrow usually really good, interesting ones, so I'm not mm. slight an Arrow at all. And I love that there's enough demand there that they can do collector sleeves. Um, Graham, oh, again, forgot Humphreys. his name. Follow him on Facebook. Yes, Humphreys. Graham Humphreys. Yeah. He does a load of those as well yeah i'd, I'd love this because it's uh, i mean i i love anything drew, drew strozen does anyway yeah. i i absolutely love his, his artwork and i love that documentary and we've got it on dvd and, and now and again we'll just pop it in and watch it yeah, yeah it's, it's I, on I sky art the, so every so often yeah. i re-download it and watch it again i've got the oh, books as just, well of his posts i can just oh, pour over those for hours just super i love the bit on a prints. side note i love the bit in that documentary where tom jane's talking about he spent hours with drew strozen watching how he paints and he went, no, 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 no. And then he watched, he watched it in the film. He went, so, so. And Drew Struzan just went, no. No. He said, because he was um, on about like pushing the pencil up to sharpen yeah. it as you do it. And he said, no, 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 no. But I, I love that. Just, again, I'll slightly on a side note. I love that story in it. And I love that story where that guy had pinched all his work. And he yeah. took him to court. And they stood up and dropped dead in the courtroom. <laughs> That guy was telling the story of him. Like, he was trying to... He was counter-suing him. It's like, hang on a minute. You've pinched his word. I know. You know. Sometimes I'm glad I'm not a successful artist or anything because I just get ripped off left, right, and centre. Just, you're just open to, to um, criminals, aren't you? Ripping it's bad off. enough having to report people on Redbubble and that for nicking your artwork to put on T-shirts. <laughs> Honestly. But I, I do love the bit with Palmer where he says that you can fly him up to the Norwegian camp. And they're like, no. And he's like... Well, thanks for thinking of me. <laughs> well, thanks for thinking about it, though. And they just instantly dismiss him as he's smoking weed. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I, I love how you get to that. I mean, Gary are iffy on and Childs are a bit iffy on because he's very standoffish at times. Mm. And both things. I think sort of, we, we beat around it. We should maybe get to the ending and then we'll come back to any other bits because the ending is a big point of comp. Mm. Um, contention a lot of people have a lot of theories about it and i know they shot like three or four different endings to add on ah, okay right it was gonna be i think there was one where a helicopter does arrive and rescues them you see him getting rescued there was one with ah, mccready okay. in a like military base and they tell him that his blood isn't infected there was one where you see a dog run one of the huskies run off and then stop and look back at the base and then carry on running off again right like setting it up to run off to the next base yeah coming yeah um, and there was something else as well. Like I think there was one where it was going to be McCready and Child actually fight, right? But I think this is one of the best. If I did a top ten film endings, this would be in that list. Yeah, just the whole kind of like even the thing of like you know, even if one of us is, I imagine, or if, you know, if one of us has got a surprise for the other, I think both of us are too beaten now to. Be yeah. able to do much about it so we yeah. might as well just sit here and it's got that amazing last line of you know why don't we just wait here a little while and see what happens yeah great final line to a film up there was like you know nobody's perfect from something like it hot yeah and just drink drink ourselves to 
stupid into into a stupor. But I think um, somebody said to Carpenter, um, "Is is one of them the thing?" And Carpenter said, "The answer's in the film." And I think it is. Having rewatched it now, I think the answer is in the film if you watch it. And I don't know. Do you do you want me to give away a bit of a spoiler on this, or do you? Yeah, I'm assuming people have seen it because there's the cool. thing about Macready's breathing and Charles isn't. That's it. That's it. Now it could be just the the angle. He, he has, the fact that he has also debunked that as well. Yeah, because John Carpenter's a shit for being kind of like, no, the answers yes. are all there for you, and then yeah, out, yeah, and, and like, then go, nah, nah, I don't. If, if yeah. you do watch it, you can see Charles breathing as well. It's just his smoke, yeah. his, his and, breath is. And when you see the Benins thing out in the out on the snow, you can see his breath as well. So that debunks yeah. the. But yeah, I think it's probably because I was because like any anybody does, and we all do it, is we try and make things fit. Yeah. So I think the the thing with um, McCready is he's got a quite a light behind him, so you 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 see his breath more prominently, and because um, there isn't a light behind Charles, I don't think that I think that's why you can't see it yeah. as much. So naturally, you, you do find yourself going, "Am I seeing his breath?" And you, you you're looking closer and think, "No." Yeah, because no, I, I read I that and I rewatched the end on YouTube, and I was like, "No, you yeah. don't see him breathe." And then mm. I watched it again, and I was like, "No, you do see you do like, see you know, yeah, slight yeah. breath." Yeah, again, but I suppose it's, it's the, there is the element, though, isn't there? That in in those days you couldn't you couldn't fully digitally remove something, whereas yeah. nowadays you can do. You can digitally add somebody's breath because what was it? I was watching. I can't remember what it was. I was watching now, but you could tell that the 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 environment wasn't cold. You could tell it was like an indoor set that wasn't yeah. refrigerated, and they just. Oh, I wonder what it was. It was yellow jackets. So they just put uh... some. You could tell the breath was digitally put on them because they were meant to be in this snowstorm and stuff. But I thought, yeah, you you could do that now, but you couldn't do that then. So maybe they try to film it in such a way that they try and get rid of the majority of his breath, and maybe there's still a little bit of breath left. It's just a, it's just a, a thought, you know. You, you don't know, do you? And none of us will ever know. And do we need to know? No, do that's we, the beauty of to, it. It's that ambiguousness. Because I know I yep. read somewhere that um, Kurt Russell. Again, I don't know if it's true. I've read it. I've never actually seen anybody from them say it. I don't think. Again, I've read so much and I've seen documentaries that it's difficult to remember what was in what mm. and what was in both kind of thing, that he took drags on cigarettes so that his breath was more visible. Ah, right. But because it wasn't always as cold as it appeared to be kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like because that was, weird thing where Tremors prominent. looks like it's roasting hot, but they're actually freezing cold out in the desert. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny, isn't it? When you when you um, read about certain things, there was, there was something I was watching a while back and then... Um, uh, they, because the sun's out, you assume it's warm and they're in kind of like summer clothing. But then I saw a, um, a clip of them between takes and as the filming stopped, they put these big winter jackets on because it was absolutely freezing. But you can tell because you can see that they've got a lot of makeup on their noses because yeah. their noses are really, really red. And you think, <laughs> their noses look like rubber because they've got a load of makeup on covering the fact that they're absolutely bastard freezing. <laughs> <laughs> but again, there's, there's loads of theories with the end, like... Somebody spec or some people have speculated that the bottle of booze McCready brings out because you never see him drink it is actually because he was throwing the Molotov cocktails burning down the base that that was actually filled with gasoline and he gave it to or kerosene he gave it to Charles to drink because Charles wouldn't know would assume it was booze if he was a thing. Then other people ah. have said that the thing remembers stuff because it's one of the great things is you never really know whether people know they're a thing. Ah, yeah. There's there's also been some debate about that. Of it. what do they know they're a thing, or does it just reveal that they're a thing, either when they're going to prey on somebody or when they're cornered? 
Ah, that's it's a, it's a bit like a Dunning Kruger, isn't it? Yeah. Don't know the thick. And like <laughs> you know, like Norris has a heart attack. Yes. But he's a thing. So obviously, the thing taking him over still meant he had a weak heart. Ah, yeah, he did have a heart attack, didn't he? Of course, yeah, because he had the the defib. Yeah. It's yeah, it's just little things like that. I again, I think, and something that comes up in the prequel is that the thing can't replicate. It can only replicate organic matter. Right. So the thing they do in that instead of the blood test is not to spoil it too much, but the thing they do instead of the blood test is they check if to see if you've got fillings. Because if you haven't got fillings, the thing can't replicate them kind of thing. So then the thing with that, people taking that as canon, Charles has still got his yeah. earring. And the thing wouldn't be able to replicate the earring. Uh, uh. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Yes. So again, un- that's nothing that was being considered when John Carpenter did it. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. But it's just again, I love the ambiguity of it. Maybe they're both. Things. Oh, I do. They're just going to freeze to death. I, yeah. I, as much as I would love, you know, the Marines to come in and save them, and everything ends happy. There's something. I think because they'd accepted that they were weren't going to get out of this situation. Yeah. Yeah. There's something pointlessly heroic. Yeah, absolutely. About it, about him just sitting there, not trusting each other, yeah. waiting to die. Waiting to die, yeah. Knowing that they it's a they're doing a good thing for humanity. Yeah. Or they're hoping they're doing a good thing for humanity, that people aren't gonna come and like, you know, recover their bodies and, and subsequently, you know, infect everybody else yeah. in a, a laboratory somewhere by not wearing a mask or very high rubber gloves. Yeah. <laughs> Or goggles, for that matter. <laughs> Just an observation there, you know, hygiene thing. <laughs> Going back on a couple of other bits before we move on to like sequels, remakes, that sort of thing. So obviously, there has been stuff since. I love that Blair is clearly burrowed under the cabin, made a little thing, and is building a spaceship. Building a spaceship that because uh, I, I I remember thinking, how long has he been out there to to build that spaceship? And then I thought, mm, okay, has he been doing this before all this? Because it seems he seemed like he'd gone quite far in building that spaceship in, in a relatively small amount of time. Well, that's <laughs> that one of the things that's confusing, but then... but then time passes every time it fades to black, doesn't it? So I yeah, think about yeah. 40 hours pass. Because one of the theories is that it's either Palmer or Norris takes him his food. Mm. And even though it's in a can, they then infect him then. Mm. So again, it wouldn't be a thing takeover. It'd be something he's ingested. Yeah, yeah. And then that's... So I guess I mean you don't know how fast the thing can move, build things. This, this is true. This is true. Yeah, because you don't actually you don't, you don't know what the thing see. actually looks like exactly, and you don't because you don't know who who is infected. You don't necessarily see them having any kind of extra powers, so to speak, or you know that they, they don't they're not like a, a Terminator. You yeah. know they have these extra things, and you think ah they're infected. You just don't know. He's such a ca- tragic character, Blair, because he's the hero character to a certain degree. Because he's the one who makes sure that they can't escape. Mm-hmm. It seems dickish when you first watch it. It's only when you, you do because you think, "What's he done what? that for?" Because he like rips out the helicopter, he's like, he's like, like console more, you and prick. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But then, as as an adult, you can then appreciate why why people do the things that they do. Sometimes you can also appreciate when people do things just to be a dick in a film. You think, "Yeah, you've just been an arsehole doing that." But with this, it's different. You can think, "Ah, he's doing it for the greater good." But he's so great when he delivers the line when they say, "Have you?" I can't remember what it is they're out looking for. When they say, "Have you seen it?" Whoever it is, and he just says, "I don't want to be out here anymore. I want to come back in." 
Yeah, I'm all blessed. He's so now. great all, delivering yeah. that line. Yeah. And there's a it's, fucking noose hanging I was going to say, especially as he's talking to him through that gap with that noose hanging down. He's eating out of a can, isn't he? Going, I'm all better now. Do you want to come back in? Like, if there was anything wrong yet. with me, I'm all better now. Yeah, yeah. Because there's the speculation then of, did he make the noose with the intention of killing himself, but then was too far gone to actually go through with it yeah. by the time he was done? Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just, it's such a one. Like I say, they're all wonderful performances. There's, a, I say it a lot with this podcast, with films I like, but there's no small parts in this film. No, there isn't. There isn't. Everybody gives you exactly what you need. I think the exactly. film's a perfect length. I don't think it needs to be any longer. I don't no. think there's anything missing from it. No. There's no. not a scene in it where I'm like, I kind of wish you got to see, like, Knowles die or whatever. Mm. Like, no, you know he's gone down that passageway. Yeah. He's disappeared. He's not coming back. And then you get the yeah. thing Absolutely. burrowing under the floor. You don't need everything spelled out to you, yeah. do you, really. And I think even though McCready takes the natural lead, because I suppose at the time, I don't know, again, people might disagree with me on this. At the time, he was probably um, the better known actor yeah. of them. And depending on, I suppose it all depends on what genre of films you watch, because I, I can watch a film and I, I will have no idea who people are in it. And people go, oh, they're in the in so-and-so film. It's like, oh, I've never heard of them. He, he was, but, he's you know, definitely he, the big ticket name. Yeah, yeah. But even though he took the natural lead, I don't think anybody was sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um I don't think he overshadowed anybody, but like you say, no. everyone had their part to play and they played it incredibly well. well so he all... was sort of begrudgingly picked to be the lead as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Gary picked, Nor- uh, picked Norris, mm. who was the quiet, unassuming guy, which is the genius of Norris being the first sort of thing out of the group that you see. Obviously, yeah. you get Benin's, but he's not fully a thing. Yeah. He's, you know, still changing when they catch him. Um, the beauty of it being Norris is he is the quiet, unassuming guy, because again, you are looking at Clark. Blair tells you to keep a close eye on Clark. Because he's the so dog handler. Do. Yeah, yeah. And you assume that it was Clark that the dog goes in to see because he's the one who spent the most time with the dog. Yeah. So it's wonderful at giving you little misdirections. Yeah. But it's telling you to look in the wrong direction. Yeah, of course. You're so engrossed yeah. in the film that you're like, no, oh, fuck, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Lesser no, films, it would come up as a massive red flag. If anybody different had written, acted, or directed in this film, and a character had gone, keep an eye on Clark. You'd have gone, well, that's a fucking red Aaron, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's exactly you. Shouldn't... And there's also the thing in the back of your mind, you're like, although you did just smash the place up. Yeah. So maybe we should be keeping an eye on you as well. Is that? <laughs> but yeah, yeah it's, it's Clark it's and perfect. him. Yeah, exactly. And again, you no, get it's... into that, who the fuck is who? Yeah, exactly. The whole kind of misdirection makes you're, you you're, you're in that Arctic base with them. Oh, God, yeah. And I think because it is um, such a small cast and it's such a, in the scheme of things, such a small set as well, because I think it was filmed in Alaska and the British Columbia and a refrigerated set in LA for all like the kind of, and I think because it's such a, um, even though if you think about it, it's a vast expanse of of Antarctica or Antarctica, as as the Americans say, it still feels very close and very um, confined because of the living quarters, because there's no like very little natural light is there and stuff because of you know keeping the, the heat. But I tell you what did make me laugh. That just reminded me. There's a bit where um, the you know they're in, they're in this uh, this kind of base, and it's you know probably concrete and all the rest of it. But there's a bit where that where they um, set that guy on fire and he just walks straight through the wall and the wall just splinters that. and he goes outside. 
because that's a throwback to the original thing from another world and they do it again they sort of homage it as well in the prequel remake oh um, yeah I, I do love it's a bit like the footage of the Norwegian people very much feels like an homage to the 50s thing from another world um to the point where I was like have they just taken footage from I need to rewatch thing from another world ah, sure. right yeah but they hadn't they just recreated footage but it was quite similar yeah it sort of had that feel to it so you could sort of be kind of like the thing from another world is what happens before this yeah a, yeah yeah not perfect but tangential sort of way yeah yeah um but yeah and yeah so him running going out on fire and smashing through the wall yeah, just made me laugh. Much what I... James Arnez's thing does in the thing from yeah. another world because it looked like balsa wood. You know, he just walked through his balsa wood, and I said, "Well, that, that's torn, isn't it?" Because you'd expect it to be a bit thicker. And then, it, well, then we we concluded that probably Americans though they make was... everything out of wood. Yeah, but, but because why the houses was... blow away. <laughs> but no, we we come to the conclusion that because it was uh, it was the thing, he was a thing that he had superhuman like yeah. strength and just like bust his way through this concrete wall, and it wasn't really balsa wood. <laughs> She made me laugh thinking, well, that's not really safe, is it? But, you know, me being the uh, anally retentive that I am with these things. <laughs> Again, it does. he does a great job of setting up the different areas. So you've got, like, the rec room with mm. the asteroids machine and the heat wave yeah. or whatever the other game was, which just reminded me of the youth club I used to go to. You had a pool table, some arcades, a little bar area. Yeah, yeah. A table where you could sit and play cards or just chat or whatever. Yeah, it was a perfect kind of mess quarters, wasn't it, really? It's, yeah, it's, 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 a bit, it's a bit like MASH. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and of course that in it in and of itself will is a, a recipe for getting on each other, getting into those nerves of being confined in that space where somebody's potentially doing something, you know, playing music or playing on a on a games thing that's irritating somebody else, and it, that's what can happen, can it, in a confined thing like that? Was well, it? Because it's not somebody like you can go doing, home at the end of the day, is it? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's not like a work, although it is a work environment. It's not like you say if someone's getting on your tits, you can just say. Right, I'm going to go into somewhere else, or I'm going to I'm going home now. Yeah. I've finished my my shift. You're stuck there with these people, and you may not necessarily like the people that you're stuck with because That's it. even if you go together. to your quarters, they can still come after you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like a, a like a concept band, isn't it? That's been yeah. thrown together. They don't necessarily like each other because they needed a biologist and a doctor and a geologist and a helicopter pilot. They probably would never socialize in the real world. No, that's there. it. They just have to be. They have to sort of get along. And be professional with each other, which is what we all have to do in work, isn't it? We have to be professional with people, even if we don't like them. <laughs> but if there was an apocalypse, you could maybe show your true colours and go, actually, I don't like you. <laughs> You're an arsehole. <laughs> That's it, because a couple of them have got relationships, haven't they? Because um, Gary says that he's known Benins for like 30 years or something like that. Yes. You yeah. can't believe what he became, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And he's so good. The look on his face when he plays that bit, it's like, I've known yeah. him for 30 years. Yeah. Just the yeah. devastation. A bit like finding out, you know, your best mate is a murderer or something, that kind mm. of thing. So yeah. there's that element of, I, I just don't believe he'd be capable of that kind of thing, even yeah. though he's not him anymore. But it yeah. all plays yeah. out on his face. Absolutely right. Yeah. It's just, yeah, wonderfully done. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot. And when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch! But yeah, so sort of, obviously we talked a little bit hmm. about the original. Um, like I say, it's one of my favourite 
I love 50 sci-fi movies anyway. It's one of my mm. favourites. Um, like I say, it's McCarthy era. It's very communist coming to get you. Like all those 50 sci-fi films, or yeah. a lot of them were allegories for. I was going to say, there's always a lot of allegories in these in that those particular era of films, isn't there, really? Yeah. You read into them a lot. Um, and obviously for years they were trying to remake it because there was a spate where they re- started remaking John Carpenter films. So you had the Assault on Precinct 13 remake, which is actually quite good. It's it's not as good as the original, but it, mm. it's quite a good thing. You had the remake of The Fog, which I've not actually seen, so I can't comment on whether it's as bad as people say it is or not. And obviously the Halloween remake, the Rob Zombie one, which is dreadful. I don't well, think at least I've for me. seen that. Mm. Um, and obviously they threatened to remake this for years. They threatened to remake Big Trouble in Little China, Escape from New York, all of those ones. It was a spate where they were just kind of like going through John Carpenter movies, remaking them. I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm a bit, it annoys me because it's because nobody has anything original anymore, is it? It's like the, the people have admitted now, haven't they, that they, even though at the time they said the thing got a bit of a slating and they said, oh, you know, the, the various things that they said about it. And then years later, People have admitted that they that the thing um, informed them in their yeah. choices of what they did for films and stuff. And it, at least people will admit, will nod to stuff and say, "Yes, you know that influenced my writing, that influenced my direction, that influenced that kind of thing." But I just don't see. And again, this is just my personal opinion. I don't see the point in remaking things. Identical. I think if you're going to do it, you've got to do something different enough. Yeah, exactly. This, I mean, it, this is a readaptation of the novella yeah. rather than a remake. Yeah, yeah. It's like when people are like, you know, have you seen the Jane Eyre remake? It's not, it's not a remake. It's just another adaptation of it. Mm. And at least you've got 30 years between that where they couldn't do some of the stuff they wanted to do. So you've got James Arnaz as, what, as he's described in the film, a super carrot. Yeah. Um, then you've got this where they could do, they were still hamstrung. They couldn't do as much stuff as they wanted to do. Mm. I think they did want to do more stuff with Niles dying, but couldn't show it and there's one of the things we didn't talk about was um fox's death so obviously he they just find his charred body and they don't actually say what happened to him whether he did they it don't know or whether yeah yeah but there is an image of him pinned to a wall with an axe in him but apparently john carpenter reshot that because he didn't want he was like that's what you'd find in a slasher movie this isn't a slasher okay, movie. fair enough yeah no, so no he reshot that. And yeah. again i like that they don't actually explain what happened to him yeah you don't need it do was you was he I about know. to be taken over and he set fire to himself did he accidentally yeah. set fire to himself mm. did the thing set fire to him yeah but you, you're right you don't need to know and it's a it's a bit like when people feel the need to explain everything and it's a bit like if you go and see a piece of art and then people will go, well, I, I need it explaining to me. And like, I, if the artist is still alive, or if you've got somebody like Andrew Graham Dixon, who is like an art historian, will often say, well, the reason why these have been painted this way is because that represents, you know, the king at the time or whatever. But as far as the rest of it's concerned, you take out of it what you want to take out of it. You don't need me to explain it to you. And that's so, what I like about films. I don't need everything explaining to me. I will take from it what I want. And I it. like that. You know, don't be I, wrong, I, don't I also like it. a film that if it's done well enough and they're like, this is what it's about. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. What I don't like is like every time Christopher Nolan gets interviewed, something we're like, so the end of Inception, is he dreaming or is he awake now? It's kind of, the thing wobbles and it ends. You're clearly not supposed to know. You take what you want. Yeah. Again, like with this one, if you want after it fades to black and the credits start rolling, a helicopter to come in and rescue him and everything's fine and dandy, that's what happens. 
Yeah. If you want them to freeze to death. Yeah. That's fine. That's what happens. Yeah, it's it's there's no right or wrong with it. And it, you, I mean, I, I'm not one for going on like forums and stuff because you go on a forum and, and you can go down a rabbit hole of people insisting that, you know, this, that and the other. And it's a bit like people who when you say, oh, well, I think the greatest horror film of all time is this. And somebody will come along and go, no, it isn't. It's this. But that's just your opinion. Yeah. That, that's the whole that's the whole point of of. You know, if we all like the same things, then wouldn't it be a very boring world? You know, you know, I have my opinion on what I think is a great film. I absolutely love this film, but the next person go, I thought it was crap. That's fine. I'm not going to fall out with you over it. No, that's <laughs> it. It doesn't matter, you know. Well, it's like, you know, what's the greatest film of all time? What do you mean from the skill involved in making that as a piece of art or the way it makes me feel? Yeah, so The way exactly it makes me right. feel is fucking footloose. Yeah. If it's... You know, the skill that went involved, everything coming together, it's arguably The Godfather or Citizen Kane or... But it is, it's kind of, you know, when people say, what is your favourite film? And I'll go, and if people ask me that, I'll say, well, depends what genre. Yeah. I, I have to put things in genres because there's, I can't say a certain horror film is better than a uh, a romantic movie or, you know, there has to be in genres. And then even in the genres, there's probably sub-genres in there as well. If you're well, going to get really That's what annoys me when people categorise animation as... A genre because somebody did a list of like the 10 greatest animated movies or something right it's like well, you can't do that because you're comparing a disney film that's essentially a rom-com with akira yeah but like, that's it's... like comparing notting hill and star wars or yeah. notting hill and blade runner <laughs> yeah it's yeah very different film very yeah and then yeah. even within horror it's like you've got slasher you've got body horror you've got suspense you've got absolutely yeah. you've got yeah yeah, I could watch it every weekend if I'm honest. And we've we've had a bit of a run, <clears throat> excuse me, this past few weeks of watching old, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna use inverted air commas here, classics, but classics to us, you know, yeah. that we we've not watched for a long time. So obviously we watched the thing on Saturday. So we watched Reservoir Dogs a few weeks back, and it's just again, you know, some people will go, no, I didn't like it, but we did and we enjoyed it and we watched it again, and it was it because we hadn't watched it for so long. It was quite fresh because there, there was areas that I'd forgotten, like scenes I'd forgotten about it. Well, this is what I like so, with The Thing. I love The mm. Thing, but I deliberately won't watch it like every other week or even oh, no, every, no. every year or something like that. Mm. I like to get to the point where it's kind of, I've not seen The Thing for a while. And I've forgotten certain elements of it, yeah. And I'll go back to it, and which is why bits in it make me jumpy every time I watch it. Yes. It's because I forget it's coming. I forget how skillful John Carpenter is at that. Yeah. I think yeah. with horror films, they don't play well. If A bit like comedies. Yeah, um, I like that that idea of not. Is it? We did it with um. We watched The Exorcist um a few weeks back because I've not watched that for a while, and there was and I and I'd realised actually that um the last time I'd watched it whenever that was I clearly hadn't watched it all the way through. I must have just caught caught it, you know, when you're just flicking through, and I realised there was bits of it that I'd completely forgotten. So we watched yeah. it right through, and there was p- bits in that that made me genuinely jump. And I think, oh, bloody hell, you know, I've forgotten about that bit. And th- this bit's quite frightening as well. And, and what we did was because we'd rewatched um, the Exorcist series, you know, with Ben Daniels. Um, oh, yeah. I never watched that. I've... It was, I again, this is my just my personal opinion. Absolutely loved it. It's, it was yeah. really well executed. And there was only they only did two seasons of it. And that was at the cut after that. I think it, it's the first episode. There's something with a child and I'm not big keen on stuff involving kids in horror and I think that's why I've not gone to it and I was burned from Exorcist is great Exorcist 2 is a bag of shit Exorcist 3 is great 
um, then the two prequel versions of the prequel films, the Rennie Harlan Exorcist, the beginning, and then Dominion prequel to the Exorcist, which were the two competing versions. Ah, and we were told I... that Dominion was like, you know, a masterpiece, and that was shit as well. I've so, never seen any where... of them apart from the first. The third one's great. I highly recommend the third one. You can ignore oh, okay. everything else. Right. Um, and obviously we've got the new Exorcist sequel coming out this year. Yeah, I saw that because I thought I didn't didn't even know. I, I, like I say, I'm, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of sequels necessarily. I think I could probably, again, I'm going to say I could probably name on one hand the number of sequels that are any good, but that's silly of me to say because I can't remember what I had for, for me tea. So it's it's I'm not going to be able to mention them. But there's been a few sequels that I thought actually that I'll I'll give them that that was quite good. But I don't think I've ever ventured into any of the Exorcist sequels. But I did enjoy the the series. The series was yeah. was re- the bit. It was the build up to it, and it was quite um. You know, it started off nice and quite slow, and it was it was a there was good character building in it. And I like Ben Daniels as an I actor. Like anyway. He's a great actor. He's superb. And I can't remember the name of the guy who plays the priest. Well, obviously Ben Daniels plays a priest in it as well. But the other priest, um, Tom, it's the his character's called Thomas, but I can't remember his his, uh, his name as an actor. But it all the characters are in it are so good that you um, really do immerse yourself in them. And there's some characters you, you despise. They're horrible. But again, a sign of good writing and good acting. Yeah. It's a shame it, they didn't carry it on. But maybe maybe it's not. Maybe it's a good thing it stopped after two seasons in case it got started getting a bit, you know, yeah, this, some kind of thing. This is my thing with ambiguous endings is I'm a 90s kid. I'm used to TV series just ending on a cliffhanger and never coming yeah, back. Never I'm coming used back. To that and, yeah. Or films being like, this is the first in a series. And it does so badly that I like it, but they never made any more. So yeah. I'm used to that, not knowing what came next yeah, and just yeah. filling it in my head. That's yeah. probably and where nothing... the rise in fan fiction came from for the longest time. Nothing or... wrong with that, because I, I know sometimes if a sequel is so bloody awful, you just think, oh, you should never have made it. And it spoils it, I think, yeah. doesn't it? It's it's a bit like um, we watched... Uh... But there was this, there's a season of films, um, very similar to Saw, I suppose. The first Saw one, I loved it. All the rest can just go to hell because I just, the first one I really enjoyed and then there's just no need to carry on to Saw 4. The first one's a really nice idea. It's a nice self-contained mm. in yes. the bubble. That's and it, yeah. I've seen the sequels up to a point, but they got nastier, like, you know, mm. the key to release you is behind your eyeball, you've got to pop your own eyeball out, or you're super glued yeah. naked to this seat and you've got yeah, to put your exactly. own skin off. Yeah. And they got so crossed up in knots with this was going on in the background of this film, but we don't find out to the fifth film that this guy was there all along. And... Yeah, I can't be arsed with it. I've got it's too much of a. Um... Saul's a beautifully simple morality thing. Yeah, these two guys they don't know why they're there, and then you get the big reveal that the dead body in the corner was the guy all along. Yes, yeah, and that's all you need. Doesn't need to be carried on. Wonderful little film. Yeah. You've got Danny Glover as a cop who's so fucking driven. That... Yeah. Yeah, like definitely. you know, it's his Moby Dick kind of thing and kills him. Yeah, there's there's no shame in saying we perfected that one was enough. Yes, like Jaws. They shouldn't have made any more Jaws films. No, I, I'm I'm in agreement with you with that one. And like I say, I'm I'm still torn about watching um, the thing. Is it 2011? Did you say that was yeah. the yeah? I, I probably will do because I've got into this thing. I've watched the thing on Saturday doing this podcast with you so i think i probably will just just to sort of see really and see what yeah, it's like and I, then i can have an opinion because i don't like having an opinion on something until i've seen it i like to have my own opinion on it and go 
it's all right. Or actually, like I said, it's, it's not bad if you can separate yourself from. Because again, they wanted to do a remake, and I think they went to the studio and went, "Can we make it a prequel?" Yeah, and it now sort of falls. In. So it's about the Norwegian camp and what went on there, um, right? But also a remake at the same time. It's a remake disguised as a prequel, like I said earlier. Um, and it's like I say, it's fine if you can detach yourself from it, but it doesn't need to exist. And it's yeah, more yeah. CG. There's a couple of practical effects, but it's more CGI. And apart from a couple of nice thing designs, right? There's there's one that's very cool, or looks really good. It's mostly CGI, but you kind of get away with it. And weirdly, the CGI is aged more than the practical effects from 1982. Oh, right. Which yeah. again, I kind of get. Obviously, you had thing from another world, then 30 years ish later, mm. the thing, then 30 years after the thing again ish, you get a remake, and they're using oh, the CGI yeah. technology. So I get. Yeah. It, it, almost to the point where in another like 30 years from that one are we going to get another version of the thing with whatever the current yeah, it'll technology be is there AI won't it yeah. <laughs> yeah will people in the future like how we are 40 years away from the thing kind of like no mm. it was a masterpiece the prequel one was all CGI and it looked shit is there going to be people in like 30 40 years time going no no the the thing from 2011 was really good yeah yeah you just, just don't know, do you, how it's going to The 1982 one was kind of hokey in a bit. All dudes in a Arctic base thing. Yeah, because there'll, there'll be that one. It's like, oh, well, it's... Yeah, I suppose thinking back now, it's like, oh, it was all blokes. It's like, well, that's probably to do with the with the era, wasn't it, really? Because it probably was all men that went into those kind of um, professions, you know, not yeah, now. I, I mean, there would there would have been women, you know, biologists and stuff like that back in those days. But it would because there's a couple of women in the original, it. and there's a couple of women in the prequel, mm. um, which is also called the thing. Which I think is why they started calling this one John Carpenter's the thing, but it never really caught on because everybody called it the thing. A bit like yeah, Star Wars, yeah. nobody calls it a New Hope. And I can't remember if there's women in the book or not. I don't think there is, but I might be ah. wrong. I think women in the film would have added a different dimension to it. Mm. The mistrust. I think it works being a load of blokes on their own. Yeah, I imagine yeah, but... kind of like a navy ship for the longest time didn't have women on because they thought it mm. would distract the men. Yes, yeah. And again, I don't agree with that. Men should learn to fucking control themselves. Yeah, <laughs> but well, yeah, yeah. It, it adds a different level to it. It's a bit like you... the first hostels all blokes, the second hostel films all girls, and it completely changes. Mm. And I, the ho- hostel films are horrible anyway. I'm not a fan, but. It, it completely changes the dynamic. I think putting a woman in it, I don't know. I don't. Again, I'm not being sexist at all. I think it changes the dynamic, the mistrust. It's going to naturally change the dynamic, isn't and it? And let's it's... face it: in 1982, she, even in the hands of John Carpenter, she probably would have been a throwaway character. Unfortunately, probably yes. Yeah. I mean, let's not pretend that even up till recently, the female car- characters haven't really been anything more than. Either the sacrificial sexy lamb, mm. the bit of eye candy, or yeah. if they are given any form of agency, they're usually the bratty bitch. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It would need the been... slap, and then, and again, yeah, would... I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm saying that. No, but I know work. what you're saying. Yeah, they wouldn't. It wouldn't have been taken seriously. They probably a female character may not have been given a. a she might not have been a doctor or a biologist. She might have yeah. been the cook. To, you know, but yeah. as as you know. Um, as has often been the case, well, that the woman will be in the kitchen, would she? She, you know, she'd be the cook or she'd be the yeah. nurse that assists the doctor. Yes, to assist. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I like to think 
things have changed somewhat. Not all, not all the time, but they've changed somewhat now. Where you, the lead character, who is the lead scientist, is a woman now in in, in yeah. some of these films. But That's the good thing about the day, remake is you know, that you know it, the fe- lead character is a female character. Yeah, and she is good. Yeah. She's not. I, again, I'm sure there are elements of the internet that would call her a Mary Sue or whatever they like to call mm. them. But like I say, I just don't. I think the dynamic works with it being all men. Yes. Again, it's easy to say because I've not seen it with a woman in it. Mm. And the other problem with the prequel, I do recommend you watch the prequel just to warn yeah. But the other problem with it is there's so many characters in it that I think there's only 13 characters in it. Right. 13 or 15 characters, but you only know about two or three of them. Ah, uh, okay. You either recognize them from somewhere else or. You think you recognize? There's two actors that look so similar that I wasn't sure which one was which at times. Yeah, I, I find that difficult in films where some of the actors have a like, you know, they they're built quite similar and they look yeah. quite similar, and you think actually I don't is this? And it, I'm because I the Norwegian as well. The there's thing. a lot of blonde blokes with beards as well. But there's course, one yeah, that's but... an American actor and one that's a Norwegian guy, but they look kind of similar, and you really have to pay ah. attention. It's well, not all the suppose... time, but there's like certain angles. And because I knew the American guy, because he's in one of the NCIS shows. Ah, okay, right, But I was like, is that the NCIS? No, no, it's not. That's the Norwegian dude. (laughs) Ah, but if there's different accents, I suppose, that that helps. But in some films, you do do think, is this a deliberate thing? Are they they meant to be related in the film? You know, then you start thinking, actually, am I... And then you do get, you end up getting your characters mixed up, don't you? And crossing over and you start conflating some of the, the characters. But I suppose if they've got different accents, as long as they open their mouths and speak, then I'll be all right. <laughs> I'll to differentiate between them. It's like that thing years ago where people couldn't tell whether it was Jeffrey Dean Morgan or um, Javier Bardem. Or whether oh, they can't gosh. tell whether it's yes. uh, Margot Robbie the, or the girl from Ready or Not, whose name's gone from yeah. my head at the minute. The, the very, yeah. But, but uh, they, in Jeffrey this Dean case, Morgan, they happen similar. to be in the same film. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, God, no good for but, me. Bloody hell. Like I say, it is worth watching. It's nowhere near as bad as it should have been. Right. Or could have been, rather, not should have been. Yeah. Because um, obviously you've had that, I think, around 2005, Frank Darabont was going to make a miniseries. Oh, uh, okay. The thing, which I don't know whether... I think that was going to be a prequel. Oh, uh, right. But that never got off the ground. I think that was with sci-fi. And obviously you've got Horror Express as well, the Peter Cushion film with the thing on a train that's a loose adaptation of who goes there as well uh, okay unofficially like yeah, loose, yeah. loose but it is pretty much the thing on a train um oh. i just don't know what else you could do with that story now no like i say, the problem with the prequel is that it hits so many of the same beats mm. um sort of the only element they've never really taken from the book in any of them is in the book they have to keep radio in back to whoever they're radioing to because otherwise they'll send out a search party for them if they miss a call. Ah, so you've got right. that factor of it where they need yeah. to keep sending out messages. Yeah. Which was quite a cool idea in the book, which has never been done in any of the films. Yeah, that's a good point because, yeah, if you think about in the thing when Windows can't get any service, that that could be a, a red flag, couldn't it? Yeah. That, the base could say there's something wrong here. We're not getting any, and they could send somebody. So that's a yeah. They don't address that, do they? The fact that they've not been able to get any service, and vice versa. So why hasn't um an, a a search party come, a rescue party come for them? It's a good point. Yeah. I think by the eighties they didn't give a shit. <laughs> Probably yeah, and it could have been you know the the rescue party could have been too far away or whatever because 
I don't know how far Antarctica is from any near land. I don't know. My, my geography is appalling, so I couldn't tell you. But um, yeah, interesting. But yeah, I mean, it's you couldn't, like you say, there's no point redoing it because you're just regurgitating, aren't you, really? It's just the same stuff that's regurgitated. It. Leave it as it is. Yeah. I think the stuff that works well is the stuff that plays homage to it, either officially or unofficially. So like yeah. the X-Files episode, I I think yes. there's a Star Trek Enterprise episode where it's an Arctic station and they find some Borg. I don't know how familiar you are with Star Trek, but they find some Borg that crash landed right. in first contact. Okay. And that sort of plays a little bit like a Star Trek version of the thing. Yeah. There's another Star Trek series called Strange New Worlds that's got a thing that's a bit like the thing, a bit like Alien versus Predator kind of mm. thing. And sort of any horror in a snowy thing. Oh, I love anything set in a snowy thing. I think it's <laughs> kind it's of more has frightening. A, a, a thing twinge to it. Like I said, I think it's because they're so far away from anything. Yeah. Well, and that that's the thing and i think probably my my love of any kind of horror set in a snowy place like alaska or you know antarctica whatever i think it probably is because of my love of the thing that anything where there's any kind of horror whether it's like a a, a loose murderer or something out in a snowy thing in the middle of canada whatever it may be i think it's probably because of my love of the thing and it just gives me the creeps like you say being out in the middle of nowhere with nobody to rescue them you know it's, it's sort of taken the Agatha Christie, Nine Little, it's had so many name changes because they were all inappropriate. Mm. I can't remember what it's called now, but it's Nine Little something mm. um, where it is people trapped in a house together and one of them's a murderer. Yeah. It's taking that murder mystery to yeah, the next of level. Course, of course it is, yeah. And Except, just like I say with this, it's a... not a whodunit, it's a who is it. Yes. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, no, it, it's it. wonderful. Like I say, um, I know they've done comics as well that have. Dark Horse did a load of comics, which I've not read, and they're not easy to get hold of. So, mm. but I, I, I'm quite happy with this film as it is. Yeah. Like I say, the prequel answers some things if you consider it canon. There was a game yeah. that also was considered canon, but again, anything considered canon is like new Star Wars. If it doesn't fit where you wanted it to go, it's mm. fan fiction. Just yeah. take it for what it is. Ignore what you don't like. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of thing. Absolutely. And yeah. same with anything. It's... sequels don't have to ruin what came before but no exactly i, I, I know it'll play in the back of your head that you kind of like yeah you got to um oh. it's a bit like aliens to alien 3 it's like everything i invested in hicks and newt surviving you just kill them off in the opening yeah. credits <laughs> yeah. it's kind of oh but at the same time as two standalone films with nothing before or nothing after yeah interesting movie i mean Absolutely. aliens is a fucking masterpiece like the thing is but yeah but yeah, it's just one of the other things when I rewatched the thing from another world is how casual they are. Like the secretary's still working behind her desk and he still pops up to <laughs> see her and all that. It's so I'm going to have to watch it now. It's been so a, long, I'm going to have to watch it. At the time doing this, it's on BBC iPlayer. Oh, okay. I think right. BBC Three did an arc, well, BBC Four did an RKO series a couple of months ago. Right. So I'm pretty sure it's on there. If not, you can get right. it on. Blu-ray or DVD from HMV. I know HMV have got an exclusive Blu-ray, um, but yeah, they're just so casual about kind of like you know, there's this super character trying to kill us, but the scientists are still working on their stuff. The secretary is still working upstairs, and people having a smoke. It's every, like, every, yeah. every so often, it tries to break in. And they fight it off. Love it again. No, I love that. If if you go in, get into that fifties era, kind of put yourself in that fifties mindset. Yes. And watch it. There's some wonderfully tense moments. Yeah. Like I say, they look kind of hokey and kitsch now. 
even to me who loves the film, like when they're trying mm. to get it at the end. Mm. But at the same time, it's just it's such a wonderful slice of fifties sci-fi. Yeah, but like this is such a wonderful slice of eighties. It's it's, it's sci-fi perfect. horror, it's, and it's just like like you've just touched on. Then it's the it's the it's the tension, and the te- that it's the there's tension throughout the whole of this film. There's I don't think there's any point where you you like let your guard down and you relax because no. it's just tension all the way through, and that's helped by the Morricone. Um, Music, I think. Yeah, score, getting Morricone because... because I know John Carpenter usually does his own scores. I think this is the only film that yeah. he didn't do the score, and that yeah, was such a genius move. Super, because uh, I, I think, think they wanted I... Jerry Goldsmith originally, but oh, okay, whatever reason he couldn't do it or didn't do it, and they got Morricone instead. And I, I know, I think it's Hateful Eight. Tarantino uses the stuff that wasn't used that Morricone did for this film that wasn't used in this film. He uses that in Hateful Eight on that film score. Uh-huh. Okay, it's. I'm sure it's hateful. It's superb because if you think, if you think about it, and and really kind of think about it when you're watching the film, if you watch this film, well, if, I suppose if you watch any any film, whether it be a horror, whether it be romantic, whatever it may be, if you watch any film without any music in it, it just wouldn't have that effect. It wouldn't have that, you know, that tension, that build yeah. up. It's it's music is what makes a film. And sometimes we watched a film um, a while back, and the, the music in it was very very irritating. I remember thinking at the time, who who bloody picked this? Who who chose to to, to score this film? And it, I found it very distracting. Um, so it, it kind of ruined it a little bit for me. Or was it a series? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But it's um, but for this, it's just like you were saying before about the the tent, the music when the dogs walking round, and then that the the violins, that the screechy violins yeah. with, with some parts of it, and it's like oh, and it just makes you feel really kind of Ugh. it just you, you can feel the hackles and the on the back of your neck going up. It's 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 superb and i think that really it really is adds another dimension to the film i think yeah. as well it just adds to that that tension and, and the, the the jumpiness and the fear with it it's, it's um a real a real addition to it i think yeah it's it's a masterpiece in am, ambiguity as well mm. whereas somebody like wes craven is so laser focused on details or even like a stanley kubrick or christopher nolan mm. i think john carpenter deliberately ambiguous about stuff both making the film and after the film where he's kind of like yeah yeah, yeah no that, that that's what that is and then next time he's interviewed about it we kind of like no 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 it's not that at all yeah and just which probably people pisses guessing. people off but yeah i it's imagine like... it does but why would you want to confirm well, and well, end the conversation because I, yeah you, because I, I don't know it, sort of um pigeonholing stuff in a certain way i just think it's really boring i just yeah. think you know let people make their own minds up and don't don't get stuck on these forums, you know, sat in your basement in your underpants on the on the thing going, well, I actually think that it's this, that, the other, and I won't have anybody say this different. It's like, you know, obviously they don't all speak in that voice, but it's just just enjoy it for what it is and make up your own mind. doesn't matter what Joe Bloggs down the road says that it, it is. What, what do you think it is? And if that's what you think it is, then that's it. So be that's it. it. You know, that's it. If, if you go into this film and somebody's told you definitively, it's an allegory for mm. the AIDS epidemic. You're only going to see it as an allegory for the AIDS epi- exactly. epidemic. Exactly. Or if somebody tells yeah. you it's about racism, or you're going to start di- taking it apart as is a film yeah. about racism yeah. or sexism or anything like that. Whatever it may be. Yeah. And put any ism on it. That's what yeah. you're going to see. Yeah. It's a film about not wearing masks and being careful. That's <laughs> what it's about. <laughs> and that's how you get infected <laughs> with your short gloves on your wrists. <laughs> or, you know, it's it's about homophobia. 
it could be you, you somebody will find something in there and yeah. then go well I, I actually think it's about this it's like and again i'd much rather talk to the guy that goes i was thought it was an allegory for homophobia for example and then somebody else being like oh, it's just a fucking alien movie it's about mm. you know a bit like people say about it, alien is a male fear of birth <laughs> of giving yeah. birth kind of thing yeah it's like that's cool you got that from let's talk about that yeah I'd, I'd much rather be like i really like that angle and i'd quite like when somebody changes the way of your film like with the dog trying to lick benin's yes never I've occurred to me that. yeah i'm gonna like look that. at that completely differently next time i watch it totally because i always yeah. saw it as just a thing trying to act like a dog and endear itself to somebody yeah yeah of course and, and yeah. now i'm seeing it as that the thing quickly trying to get itself passed yeah. on to somebody else That's very very clever that yeah because this one thing i did notice as well is um it, that dog you could quite rightly as you can imagine it's it's like a human trying to run through snow that dog is tired yeah you can see that poor dog is really tired as it's running through that snow and i was thinking i remember thinking at the time thinking oh i hope they give it a bit of a break before they filmed it again running through the snow it's like oh poor thing and he was the poor thing was so tired but such a such a i know it's not a character i know it's a dog but it was such a well-trained dog and yeah. you did feel it was just so well observed and well filmed at at at, at at its height, at its angle, going through as well. I like that. That was that was very clever. Well, so, and I don't know if that's what John Carpenter was going for when he filmed it. Whether the dog mm. was just licking the guy on set or trying to lick the guy on set. Yeah, but it adds John another Carpenter, layer to it, doesn't even it? Even if John Carpenter mm. said, oh, "That's what that is," I know that next time he's interviewed, he'll go, "No, nah, it wasn't that." It, was it just wasn't like yeah, on set. yeah, yeah. We just caught it on camera, kind of thing. But yeah, I, I like a bit that. like I Wilfred like... Brimley putting the pence, the rubber to his mouth. Was that deliberate, <laughs> or was it just an actor making a mistake? But it opens yeah. up these whole new things. It, of... it really does because it could have been like a because we all do it, don't we? We'll have a pen or pencil, and we'll put it put it to our chin or put it to our lip. So it probably was just an automatic thing that he's done, but it's added that extra layer of yeah. oh, it, it, did it happen then? You know, and like I say. I, that's what leads the that's what makes the film interesting is when you can have these conversations afterwards yeah yeah Whereas, and nobody kind of start, slams their fist on the on the thing and go no actually i think you'll find it's like do you know what forget let's stop this conversation now <laughs> you know you you might think that but somebody else might think that. And, I, and i just you know it's it's what makes the world go round when people have these different uh like opinions and different sort of ideas about how it might might have played out or what it might be saying but just don't get too hung up on it isn't it just in, it. just enjoy it awesome i mean i think we, we both agree that people should watch the thing absolutely should watch it and form don't read i mean i'm hoping if they've got this far they've, well, they've, they've seen it already but yeah we've kind of ruined it for them a little bit now haven't we but I you mean, know it's always worth another watch and take on board some of the things that we've mentioned that we hadn't spotted ourselves yeah and then maybe people who've watched it and gone I never saw that. I'm going to rewatch that and go, oh, yeah. You know, like I didn't realise about the dog at yeah. the beginning. So I, I will probably, you know, give it a couple of months, maybe over Christmas or something, I might rewatch it again and look specifically for that and go, ah, yeah. But yeah. But yeah, and like I say, I, if you can find it somewhere, I wouldn't recommend spending money on it. But if the prequel remakes yeah, available to watch, it, it's worth it is, a watch yeah. just as a complete in it kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Like I say, I wasn't going to watch it. And I was like, no, because if I'm doing a thing on the thing, maybe refresh me. I, I realised when I logged it on Letterboxd today that I first watched the film exactly 11 years ago to this day. Oh, blimey. Completely coincidentally, that was when I last watched the uh, prequel. Crikey. I was like, that's weird. 
was like, that's meant to be. That? <laughs> meant but, to be. It'll yeah. probably be another 11 years before watching it. My <laughs> youngest, my, my eldest, sorry, watched The Thing With Me on Sunday and then he came home today and I'd got the other two out. And I was like, if you want to watch them, take them upstairs with you. And just before we did this, I went to say goodnight to him and he was watching the prequel remake. I was like, you liking it? Because I thought it's more modern for him. Yeah. And he just looked at me and he went, eh. I, was, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I was like, that pretty much is what the film is. Yeah, yeah. It's like, if the thing didn't exist, it'd probably be like a three, four star film. The thing exists, yeah, sure. so it's like a two star film. Yeah. Nobody's particularly bad in it. It's, partic- mm. it's not badly made. Weirdly, the director of it, that's the only film he's ever made. Ah. Which huh. is, is strange, but or at least when I last looked, that was the only film he'd ever made. Yeah, yeah. Because ah. usually those guys who do the remake, those remakes have done something else before that's quite interesting, or they yeah, go on to do yeah. something interesting afterwards. Maybe but, that would maybe just tipped him over the edge and said, not doing it anymore. <laughs> but, and like I say, with the thing, John Carpenter himself has said, if the film had been a success, his career would have been very different after that. Mm. And I think... He took it hard because I think it's his favourite film of the ones he's made. Yeah. And I think it's possibly his best film. It, it well, yeah. Again, I've... sometimes picking your favourite Carpenter is a bit like being like, which kid do you like the best? Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So it's, but I do think it is his best film. I think he goes all out on this one. Yeah. Um, it, he's it made interesting super. films that haven't always worked. In the Mouth of Madness is a film I like, but it doesn't always work. It's a great mm. film and I really like it but I get why it didn't catch on. Mm. Even stuff like vampires and that, which has now got a James Woods problem, obviously. Uh, Oh, God. (laughs) Even that's like a dumb, fun kind of movie. Mm. But I think it worked out quite nicely for him in the end. Possibly he would have liked to have done more bigger things, but at the same time, I think he found a nice niche of quirky cult movies like They Live. Um, The other films have all gone from my head now. Jesus. Yeah, I, it's, Escape I, from New I was York. Say, I was going to try and say, but it's pointless asking me, Stuart. Because Big Trouble in Little China was not well received, but that's a wonderfully fun adventure movie. <laughs> um, I just think John Carpenter just—he's at that—he was at that level where he could pretty much do what he wanted, as long as he yeah. didn't spend too much money. And essentially, yeah, yeah. And I kind of miss that experimental age where people were kind of like, "Fuck it, I'm just going to try doing this." Yeah. I want to make a film where Kurt Russell's a fucking idiot, but he's the hero of the film. Yes. He's not actually the hero of the film. The guy with him's the hero of the film, but because it's Kurt Russell, you're following yeah. him instead, and he's a dumb yeah. He's he's just he's just brilliant in it. I think he's yeah, I can I can see why, you know people men had a man crush on him. Men wanted to be him, women wanted to be with him. It's... This was always my thing when they wanted to remake Big Trouble in Little China, is that Kurt Russell had no problem with being the idiot. Mm. in that film yeah i think if they made it now that character would lose that charm Mm. he's got that ash williams from evil dead he's a fucking idiot who just happens to yeah yeah blunder his way through this situation yeah and that's the charm of it and even to a point with this with mccready he's a leader but he's got no fucking idea what he's doing no and you can you can see it in his eyes who has the ideas it's fox who has the ideas which is probably why they kill him off quite quickly yeah they could get rid of like the sciencey guys quite quickly because yeah. Childs is the mechanic, um, Gary's the military guy. Yeah, 
uh, McCready's like a mechanic pilot as well. Yeah, he's, pilot, a, he's a helicopter pilot. Yeah, I so love that he lives separately of... in that little and he's in his tower. shack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love it's... that little shack. But you're right; it's kind of um, it, it, to a degree. I don't know whether it, it's a deliberate thing, but you can kind of sometimes see it in his eyes where he, do, he doesn't know what to do. It's like, what the hell? What the hell are we going to do here? Because they're essentially all everyman. Like I say, the yeah. scientists are dispatched quite quickly. Yeah. Even the guy Gary who's in charge recognizes that he should he's not the guy to be in charge in this situation that it's going to cause more problems than yeah because he kind of folds quite quickly doesn't he but i did, I did like that bit where blair's on his on that like big old-fashioned computer and he's doing that how long it takes to assimilate yeah. and it's like how 75 percent chance of the the whole of the whole camp being infected or was it something like twenty seven thousand hours till the whole world would be infected yeah. and he sat there watching these little beep, 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 these little things coming together for assimilation it's like can you imagine now? It like it's it, at the time it seemed. Oh, look at the computer program that's doing that. Now you look at it and think, oh my god, they can do it on my phone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's it as well. That. Mobile phones have ruined it now. That's the thing with any kind of horror film now, and that's why I, I do like sometimes when they they create a horror film and do it in such a way where they can't have mobile. Something happens when they can't have mobile phones. Yeah, it's it's always the is, cell tower goes out or. <laughs> And I like that. It's like, yeah, you you need to have done something to make it more difficult because nowadays everything, everybody's connected. There's connectivity everywhere, so it's it just makes things like so much so much easier to sort of get out of a situation. But yeah, yeah. you're right. A phone a phone tower has to go down, or somebody has to lose their phone, or something occurs. Do you think? And if it occurs early on, you think, okay, I know what I know what direction this film's going in now. So that's why I like some of these older films where there was no cell phones, mobile phones. There wasn't fancy computers. There were, you know, there wasn't even a way to, to ring somebody up. It was all on, you know, walkie-talkies or whatever it may be. I like that side of films because it just makes it that little bit more exciting because yeah. there isn't an easy way out of something. There isn't a quick way to contact someone, like sending a text or a ringing somebody. Again. I'm stuck in the snow or I'm stuck wherever it may be or, you know, there's a dog running loose or, you know. I, I just... I like that side of it. And I think the modern day, it's very difficult to get that tension um, and that sort of real fear going in a film because it's because of the the easiness that you can you can connect and get out of things, I think. Maybe I've just been a bit old fashioned. It's just it's my thought. Really. And, and this is one of those rare films where you're not like, why the fuck are you doing that? And they're just doing dumb shit to drive the story forward. Yes. Yeah. Me, with the exception of like, like I say, Niles walking off on his own yes. at the end, not saying yeah. anything. Many other films, like loads of people, would just wander off for no other reason than they need to, and an excuse to get them alone to kill them, kind of thing. Yes. But other than yeah. like that, and you could make an argument for him taking the dog in and not instantly quarantining it, separate from anything else. Yeah. Until they figured out why the Norwegians were trying to kill it. Exactly. But yeah. Again, like I say. Whose mind would look at a dog and be like, it's either got a disease or some kind of alien thing in it. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's really credible, isn't it? Because that's not the first thing you would think. If, if you're watching this film brand spanking new and didn't know anything about it, you wouldn't think straight away, put that dog in quarantine. Because it's not it's not frothing at the mouth. It's not acting strange. It's just being a, a lovely, you know, docile dog. So I, it, I love if, that. If you were that's out on the realistic. street and you saw a dog run past you and then a guy chasing after it with a hammer or something, you wouldn't yeah. think... There's something wrong with that dog and he needs to kill yeah. it. You'd be like, yeah. that fucking Somebody's... monster's trying to kill that dog. 
Yeah, something's going to bust out of its back, and that, <laughs> that's it. And its face is going to fly open. You just wouldn't. I mean, I, you know, I, obviously that's sci-fi, but you just wouldn't think of that. And that's that's the realistic thing I, I like about that film is that that's not the first thing that comes into mind. They're there on a scientific expedition, so to speak. They're out there to do science, geology, whatever it may be. That's no, not. I, I like that you don't mind. entirely know what they're out there doing either. Well, no, that's just. I've just realised that when I was saying talking, thinking, I don't know what they're out there for, but they must be doing something. Yeah. To do with geology so and. You don't know who they're working for. You know, there's a guy who was in the military. You don't know yeah. if he's still military, even though he's wearing a uniform. Does he just like yeah. wearing it? Because he even made that remark where the like captain finally got a chance to fire off his gun. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, because he smashes that window, doesn't he? And shoots him in the head. Yeah. <laughs> and you kind of like you're just taking the piss out of him, so. It's clearly yeah. not a military component to it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I just realised that when I was talking. We don't actually know what they're out there for, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't no, ruin it. the film. We don't need to know, do we? That's it. It's, no. it yeah, like I say, it'd be pointless knowing what they were yeah. what they're doing. It's it's not yeah. important to the story. It doesn't take anything away, does it? You don't need to have seen them drilling into the into the ice yeah. or anything like that, or like you loads know, of all... samples that they've taken from the ice. Yeah, or exactly. Like Looking at climate change you know, back in the day and stuff like that. Nowadays, there'd be no bloody ice to drill. But yeah, no. we don't need to know it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that's great. You know. That's it. It's just, Love it. It's, I will say one thing that, as traumatic as the thing attacking the dogs is, seeing that dog with an axe in it after Blair's killed the dogs and he um he goes out to check on them and you just see that dog with an axe in it. I was like, that's, that's, that's a bit more than I needed when Clark goes it's, out to check. Yeah, so. and it's that bit where that thing has, has got that other dog, like yeah. choking it and stuff, and he and he kills it, and the, and Clark goes mad, doesn't he? But it's like, what what are you going to do? It's going to be infected now. Whatever the hell that thing is, it's like, but, so, yeah, very unpleasant. Yeah. But again, as a dog lover, I'm, I'm, it's kind of like, do what you like to the fucking people. Leave the dogs alone. Leave the dogs, poor dogs. I know. Bless him. Uh, it's quite funny because when we rewatched it and the dogs were making a noise, our dog, who was fast asleep on the sofa, he kind of lifted his head up in his wonky way that he does, all boss eyed and went, Oh, you can hear these dogs. He doesn't make a noise, he doesn't bark or anything. He's like, and he looks and he couldn't quite figure out where it was coming from. And then he kind of went, Oh, I went back to sleep again. <laughs> Bless him. It's just a fucking telly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ruining my sleep. <laughs> awesome. So oh, before we go, um, where can people find you online? What have you got coming up, Art92? Anything exciting um, so in the pipeline? So you can find us on Art92, um, on Facebook, on uh, Instagram. I'm not going to say Twitter because we're not very um, active on that anymore, to be honest. Um, I'm currently working on Clear Run 2, which awesome. is going great guns, which is... Um, it, it was going great guns, and then I've I've stopped momentarily because I've had a couple of commissions that have come in, which is great because I was looking at trying to sort of push for some more commissions this year because I wasn't very active last year. So I'll probably be putting a call out for more commissions over Christmas or coming up to Christmas yeah. now because we're, it's frighteningly close now. So yeah, so I'm just just I still have my Marty that came with Clear Run, blue tacked oh, up by my desk. Oh bless him. So uh, yeah, I'll probably do a couple more of um, like little cards like that for when I do Play Run Two. But yeah, I've got a couple of um, well about three. It's going to be a, a Play Run Two is going to be where as the first one was like three stories. This is going to be a number of different stories about cool. what happened after the adoption. Yeah. So I didn't put I didn't give myself a deadline on that. I just thought I'd get cracking on it and see where it leads me. So I've got some commissions coming up. Um, I've done. Uh, a piece with Tony for DUI three as well, so that'll get uh, that's coming out fairly soon. 
um, done a piece with um, David uh, for Fred Egg Comics. So I've got a page in one of his comics coming out. Awesome. Yeah, so that's um, that's me, really. It's just plodding along, um, you know, trying to... It's my, Doing the artwork and stuff is my downtime, which is quite yeah. nice. You know, your work's quite stressful, so it's quite nice to uh, to just log off and, and get some work done, try and get some of that done. So, yeah, main main focus is got some commissions coming in. I'll be putting out a, an advert to, to see if anybody wants anything for Christmas. Um, and Clear Run 2 is my awesome. main uh, goal, which uh, I'm really... Really, really enjoying at the moment, and um, oh, and I've I've uh, kind of volunteered myself to do um, just a. This is something that I'm just dead proud of. Really, is that uh, a friend of mine who's a teacher, she's been using Clear Run uh, for her book club for her kids in her in her school, awesome. and um, so she said they they really loved it. They really enjoyed it. She asked asked my permission. Do you mind? I said no, oh, no, no. Of course she can. You know. So she's been doing that, and then she's um, I'm probably going to be doing a talk with the with the kids in school. Awesome. So um, it probably won't be in person because it's it's quite a distance away. Um, so probably do it over Zoom or something. So I'll be able to, because she said she's organised things in the past with people. So, and I'm just dead proud because if kids are getting out of it, what I hoped kids would get out of it, which is, you know, seeing the whole process and how, how you know, the whole adoption process of a dog and what a dog brings to your life and stuff like that. And she lets them make that decision to, and she gets them to tell her what do they get out of this? What do they see? What's the story telling them? So I think that's really, really lovely. And if it makes kids smile and, and makes them happy and they, it makes them read, that's that's good in my book. That's that's yeah. great. You know, that's what it's all about, really. It's a kid's book, but with an adult slant to it, yeah. which is which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, I mean, I'll put all the links in the show notes anyway for anybody cool. that wants to check it out. Um, but yeah, I highly recommend checking out Clear Run and Clear Run 2 when it comes out and everything <laughs> else, obviously. Thank you, thank uh, you. Awesome. Thank you for doing this. I really enjoyed it. Sure. I so did a- I, Stuart. Yeah, Quick thank you so much for uh, having me. You're <laughs> yeah. very welcome. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> you the only one who made it? Not the only one. Did you kill it? Where were you, Charles? thought I saw Blair. I went out after him. Got lost in the storm. <laughs> Fire's got the temperature up all over the camp. Won't last long, though. Neither will we. How will we make it? Maybe we should. about me if we've got any surprises for each other I don't think we're in much shape to do anything about it well what do we do why don't we just wait here for a little while see what happens
that was The Thing. And why not? I'd like to thank H for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the links you need to her work with Art92. At the time of recording, The Thing is available in the UK on Blu-ray from Arrow Films and on DVD, Blu-ray and 4K from Universal. It's also available in a double pack with the 2011 version of The Thing. We put a shout out on the socials for your thoughts on and members of seeing the film, and we had some replies. Spooky Spectre Killoki on Blue Sky said, I like how the Doctor has a nose ring. John Ottaway on Instagram said, It's in my top ten films of all time. Genuine tension rather than straight out horror. There's a quote from Hitchcock about suspense and surprise. If there's a bomb under a table where people are sitting and talking at, and it explodes, the audience is surprised. If the audience sees the bomb under the table whilst the people are sitting and talking, there is suspense. When they're doing the blood test, it is suspense, then surprise, then horror. Absolute genius and still holds up today. Rachel Tiny Noggin on Instagram said, I watch it every year in the lead up to Halloween. It's perfect and has some laugh out loud quotable moments, which is hard to do in a kind of mystery suspense horror film with so much tension. Usually that kind of thing comes off as cheesy, but in The Thing it just helps relieve the tension for a moment before leading you into the next situation. Yeah, it's perfect. Andy Conduit Turner on the Am Why Not Facebook group said, one of my all-time favourite films in any genre. There's a lot of reasons why I could list, but in brief, the commitment to practical effects makes it timeless. The restraint to not give a definitive answer to all possible scenarios is now practically unheard of. The knowledge that if they'd just been able to speak Norwegian at the start, things could have been very different. All in all, 10 out of 10 movie. Infinitely preferable to spend in winter tied to this fucking couch. Thank you to everyone who sent in comments for the episode. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation wherever you see this episode posted on our social media channels. You can follow us on Threads, Blue Sky and Instagram, or why not join the Am Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only will you be kept up to date with what episodes are coming up and have a chance to contribute to them, but we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search Am Why Not Pod on social media or check out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and we bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. And why not give this series a follow or subscribe over on Acast or wherever you see this episode posted. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating or a review if you have a second or two to spare. Or if you don't, we're just grateful that you spent the time listening to us, thank you. If you missed any Amway episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. In the meantime, Spooktober continues next week when I'm joined by the other half of Art92, Damien Edwardson, to chew some bubblegum and kick some ass and talk John Carpenter's They Live. But until then, this has been a Nerds Who Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thanks for listening, and remember, I know I'm human, and if you were all these things, then you'd just attack me right now. So some of you are still human. Bye for now.